Alright, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast film commentary for The Dark Knight Rises, a movie that I used to not love and have really come to love and even find more rewatchable than The Dark Knight. Now, even though I know that's not the common opinion, I'll give some reasons why that's the case, um, but I'm going to bring in the man who suggested that we do the Dark Knight commentary a month or two ago, uh, which was brilliant. We had such a good time. We were like, okay, we got to do Rises. So we actually have a spirited um, little debate before this one starts uh, to sort of talk about some of the bigger themes to look for. So we'll get into that in a second. But really quickly, Aaron, a.k.a. Aaron, welcome back, buddy, as always. Thank you, sir and boss and director Sorunair and best podcast commentary I've ever met. It is an honor to be here again, and especially in the context of this brilliant movie that I so thoroughly enjoyed so many times. And if there's any other, you know, thing you'd like me to throw out there right now, here I am. So uh, we jump into our intro that we did, but uh, I think it's safe to say that we this was the most just straight up fun I think we had with a commentary yet, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I I will will say that it was the most spirited. (laughs) <laughs> good times we've had on a yeah. uh, podcast for a while, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, our good times will help you guys enjoy the good times of what's really a very funny and human film uh, that maybe people didn't see coming after The Dark Knight. So, um, cool, buddy. All right, are we ready to jump into a little intro here? Sure am. Awesome. Here we go. Okay. Anyway, 20 years ago, we're our exact selves in this movie exists, and we're in the elevator, you and I, with Siskel and Ebert, and they've given a mediocre review to this movie. And we want to say, you are wrong because. And, like, I don't, I mean, I have a lot of good feelings. I don't have my precise reasons. I'm wondering, that now, now stop me. Please stop me if in your directorial judgment this isn't worth our time. But I'm thinking that if we spend a minute now thinking about what our because is for 30 seconds for Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, go for it. It'll make this whole conversation phenomenal. Go for it. Now, like, all right. So, I mean. What's now apparent through at least two of these movies is that they interweave many stories seamlessly. Right. And like that, like the fact that it's happening seamlessly, you don't even notice it, but you take it for granted. But the ability to tell a multi-line drama in a way that doesn't, you don't lose the audience shouldn't be neglected. Now, that's a good point, but it's not an exciting point. Um, the other thing is what I was talking about before, which I also think is a good point, but not an exciting point, which is that this movie really does get at important philosophical ideas, like what is the moral basis of our society and why do we think it's right? It's actually sort of arbitrary, and there is terrible injustice in our world. And so it's sort of, in a way, we shouldn't necessarily view Bane as a sociopath, but it's only because we can see the acts that he does that he's a sociopath, whereas you know the ongoing functioning of society you know, the the digestive tract of society shits out murder and poverty in a way that we don't even see. So we don't criticize it as much, you know? Um, And that's another good, but I'm not sure if it's an exciting point. Um, I think Bane, Tom Hardy fucking kills it. Um, And he followed Heath Ledger, which is unbelievable. And you don't even think to say, like, he failed in light of Heath Ledger. And actually, most reviews that I've read agree with, you're in my... uh sort of reading of it, which was, you know, you can have Heath Ledger be all-time legendary and still acknowledge that Bane's a fucking great bad guy. I, I, there haven't been any reviews that I've stumbled across that, that didn't like Bane, at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, but, and, like, this was a great choice on Nolan's part to make him 
a strong man, physically intimidating monster like we talked about, as opposed to making it like Leonardo DiCaprio, the Riddler, because it would have been too similar to the okay, Joker. Okay, can, 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 can I jump in for a sec? And yeah, ch- yeah. Challenge you on that point? Yeah. Um, so um, the question is, the fact that Bane, take out Tate, right, because we don't know about Tate till the end. The fact that Bane is by far the strongest, but also the more most ideological, ideologically deep um, overtly ideal. Uh, overtly, Tate, Tate is also yeah. deeply ideal. Right, right, right. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah it's okay. Yeah, right. Um, right. I'm, I'm including Tate in it just because, it, but because we don't know till the end. I'm just going to put this on Bane. So, does conflating him as a physical strongman along with an ideological strongman uh, intentional, or is it too much? Like, right. So, what, I, what I'm saying is, remember I mentioned in the commentary uh, that one of Zizek's criticisms of the movie or critiques of the movie was that it took a number of different forms of revolutionaries and of revolution and kind of, you know, mushed them all together, um, which is both interesting but also perhaps ahistorical. Uh, you know, so, you know, is this movie saying anything new? Is it talking about history or is it, you know, almost sort of, um, almost just from an aesthetic standpoint, stealing from some of these ideas and and visions of revolution, which isn't to say it's it's a great question. That is a spectacular question. And the first thing that's coming to me is a similar idea you brought up about Gotham city, which is like a, you know, unspecific and general city, right? You know, it's like filmed in Chicago, it's filmed in other places, and it really, it really goes to lengths to like do visual skyline shots that are not New York and are not Chicago and are just Gotham, right? Like it is a archetypal city, and your question leads to this, I think, because the answer is that revolutions have happened many, many times, and the fundamental question is this. Is the leadership doing the right job? And is the society manifesting and functioning in a way that's fair and honest and real and appropriate for everyone? And over and over again, the answer has been no, but always for different reasons. So to like link these two ideas, you make Gotham an anonymous and everyman city. And you hearken to different types of revolutions and everyman's revolution. Because it's all surrounding the same question, which is, what is the moral basis of society and is society functioning in a fair way? And it never does. It never does. You know, and and it begs the question of what's fair. There's always going to be winners and there's always going to be losers. And the tipping point, I mean, it's a little bit of a loaded phrase at this point, is when the losers are just losing too painfully or in too many of a number to justify the continuing function of that form of society. And, you know, the, the 1%, 99% was one way of trying to get at that in our world. And I think Bain and what he's doing is basically tapping into those storylines. But it all just boils down to the simple question of what's fair? You know, is, is what's happening fair? Uh, unfortunately, I can't edit out that you called Hobbs John Hobbs and Locke Tom Locke, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, you know what? I might even use that in my cover email as John Hobbs and Tom Block. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> that was brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, so that was an awesome intro. I'll cut that all together. Cool. Thanks, man. All right, just tell me what to do. So, okay, so you're queued up? Yeah.
Alright people, now is the time to queue up your digital file or DVD or Blu-ray to 000. I'm going to count it down, 3, 2, 1, and when I say go, you should immediately hit play. As usual, get those subtitles on, but definitely ambient sound. And here comes the countdown. Alright, here we go. 3, 2, 1, go. Yeah, we're good, man. All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast commentary of The Dark Knight Rises, the sequel to The Dark Knight, and the third and final movie in the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, written and directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Christian Bale. I'm here with my buddy Aaron, a.k.a. Aaron. We did Dark Knight together. Aaron. How's it going, dude? Happy to be back. Yeah, love the Dark Knight commentary. He's doing very well online, well over 100 hits, so thank you everyone out there. There's DC Comics. This changes every time between movies. Um, And uh, this is going to be a great movie, because I I initially did not really love Dark Knight Rises, uh, but over the last year or two, it's really grown on me. And while I'm not going to say it's better than the Dark Knight from like a filmic objective standpoint, uh, I think this one holds up better, and we'll talk out... Uh, talk about why i love they start with the harvey dent speech yeah it it provides a lot of continuity you know it's makes you feel like not much time has passed but i think it's actually been a few years um and you know it doesn't it doesn't belabor it you know you're not forced to like be retold the whole story of what happened last time it's just like a quick little hey world harvey dent happened and he's obviously still important and now all of a sudden you're somewhere else Carcetti from The Wire. There you go. I like Mayor that Carcetti, guy. also in Game of Thrones. Great actor. Sure is. Um, th- you know, this is a classic. You know exactly what's happening in this first scene. Uh, but it's well executed. We see dynamic driving outside. I mean, we've ar- it already looks way different than the previous movies, right? In terms of the color palette and the environment and so forth. That's a good point, man. I never really thought about that. That it's, it's immediately brighter. But it's going to get darker fast. Look at this. this I mean, this whole sequence is very cool. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I guess like that movie, like Alive, decades ago, where you just have crazy small plane accident with that soccer team. But still, this was just its whole own thing. (laughs) Carcetti just makes me laugh. He's he's a good looking guy. He's kind of goofy. Yeah, I mean, I think they casted him perfectly because he's better as a mayor than he is as like. An openly badass badass. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm a CIA agent. I'm going to shoot you. Okay, so Go we ahead, need man. to talk about this is a direct mirror of the beginning of Dark Knight, right? Because you've got, we talked in the Dark Knight about you've got criminals and the Joker, and it's not the same thing. You know, Joker's the new class of criminal or whatever. And here we have criminals and Bane, and it's not the same thing. They got the masks on. We don't know who, who it is. We know he's there, even if the first time, um, oh, there he is. Before throwing him out of a plane. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because like his his voice is incredible, but it's also like a little I don't know, it like sounds like Sean Connery doing Vader. Like something's weird about it, you know? Like Connery doing kind of a Vader voice. Totally. That's a great comparison. (laughs) (laughs) And like I mean also think about it because Tom Hardy's like, you know, girls like Tom Hardy's face. You don't see it. 
you know, you don't see it, you don't see his body, and his voice is weird as shit, and yet he nails it, dude. And then Mad Max, they hide his face again, it's ridiculous. Uh, of course, yeah, it's like, I'll take the rapist for 400, Trebek. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Trebek. This reminds me a little bit of that sequence in the second Batman movie with, uh, you know, Batman escaping from Hong Kong, getting picked up by a plane that's flying by. Yeah. You know? Yep. No one likes to go big, man. He likes to go big. Yeah, and he, you know, his CGI skills have improved just because of Inception um, and, oh, and yeah. the technology. So the, the the melding of the practical and CGI um, is great. Look at this. I mean, this is definitely all practical here with the people swinging. No survivors. Okay, so what 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 does this scene set up other than Maine? Just that they're trying to kidnap the uh, nuclear physicist? Is that the whole well, point? Well, it sets up the death of the nuclear physicist. I think that's the whole point of it because or the fake they, the fake what, death you mean of the yeah exactly right, right thank you yeah like they basically it allows Bane and his henchmen to have the nuclear physicist for a long period of time without anyone wondering where he is because everyone thinks he's dead. I don't know the I don't know if this the physics is real here, but it looks really fucking convincing. Look at that. A plane taken out of smaller plane. Oh man. Yeah. Everything's and also I'd never thought about this man. But look, the the wings crumble off. I'd never thought about that. If if a plane weren't facing the way it was and it was being dragged at five hundred miles per hour by another plane, yeah. its wings would fly right off. So which right. Is something I would just you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. and that's just kind of a cool thought. Like I never thought of this is an unbelievable sequence. Amazing. I mean that's the thing. I mean just from a pure technical standpoint, is as good as anything in the dark night. Absolutely. I, yeah, not Absolutely. as good, you know, from emotional or, or just fun standpoint as the middle chase battle in the streets of Chicago slash Gotham. So here's yeah. this oh, guy. He- you know what I think the other purpose of this is? Because, I mean, you know, as you know, like, it takes a while for us to actually see Batman and have some fighting and all that shit. Yeah. Like, this is just to give all everyone sitting in the theater, like, a little bit of a, that was a crazy, fun fight sequence feeling. Because it just takes a while before you get another one. You know what I mean? So, wait, they were taking blood from this guy? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I don't know. Oh, here it is. Exactly I love this. Why. Yeah, Bane, Bane forces this guy to take the fall. So, you know, so they think it is an accident, uh, you know, again, the dictator never wanting to do the dirty work, although they do have Bane do a lot of dirty work, which, which oh, absolutely, helps man. He's not just sitting on his iron throne or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I also like a great question, by the way, why do they bother with this scene? Like that little conversation between Bane and his henchman who's willing to die, like that dynamic of his henchmen are all willing to die for him. Is is very important to the whole plot, like you know, you because I mean, as we find out, Bane's whole crew is just mostly you know foster children who have nowhere to go, and they come into Bane's fold and they follow him to the death because they know no other love. Right. You know. Okay, so we'll start the Dark Knight comparisons here. Cool. And I want to talk about Harvey Dent in a second, but just to set it up, people follow the Joker for some reasons that are understandable and some that aren't. It's the same case with Bane. And the League of Shadows in general. Um, and, and going forward, we'll talk about you know how different these followers really are. You know, if, if Joker is a virus and Bane is sort of an ideology, is it really as different as it seems? We'll get back to that. Here's Harvey Dent. You know, we, we had to wait four years for this movie, and there's Anne Hathaway. For me, this is what makes the movie almost as good as The Dark Knight. It's just her alone and her with Bruce Wayne. We'll get back to her. It, it, the fact that, you know, Bruce Wayne hasn't left his mansion in, what is it, eight years, do they say? It's a while. Yeah, I think that's about right. 
almost a decade. Yeah. And the way that this is the year where, uh, by the way, the number two to uh, to um, Gorda, not a huge fan of that guy, although he's great late in the movie when he sacks up finally. But, uh, you know, one has to w- wonder, I'll throw it to you, is it possible Jim Gordon has this speech prepared every single Harvey Dent day and then at the last <laughs> minute puts it away because he doesn't have the balls? <laughs> Speaking of balls. Yeah. I think so, man. Speaking of balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's possible. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you can, you can chalk up coincidences in movies to like too much of a coincidence, but a story has got to start somewhere. So the fact that Gordon, oh, here we go. I wonder how much Aaron Eckhart got paid for that. By the way, Eckhart has some movies and stuff coming out soon. He's still around, thank God. He, He's a great he actor. killed it in the second one. Yeah, but um, yeah. you know the sort of Deus Ex Machina of Bane having to get the speech from Gordon bothers me not at all because it serves such an important plot and character and world building thing. That's what I'm always saying. I don't care about the happy or unhappy coincidences as long as it's building character and building yes. the universe. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, I, I'm thinking about it now. I can't think of anything offhand that's similar to this in that here you've got the third movie, and society now kind of exists around the legend of someone who died in the second movie. Oh, here he says, he says, yeah. I can say this about Harvey Dent. It has not been for nothing. And he's not lying. Gordon's, he's not. Gordon's not telling right. the full truth, but he's definitely not lying. Exactly. He's got to live with his guilt. And he hates the lie, but he sees, you know, a different and better world. And he's, he's fucking angry that Batman's got to eat it. But at the same time, you know, you've got the Harvey Dent Act, you've got clean streets, and you've got people believing in something. It's cool. It's ve- Look, Chris Nolan, he's a smart guy. That's all there is to it. So uh, for some reason, some people really hate Anne Hathaway. Maybe because she's just too talented or something. I love everything she's ever been in. I think she's one of the best actresses in Hollywood. She's definitely better than both Scarlett and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, even though I enjoy those two a lot and they're great actresses. Anne Hathaway, for me, is right at the top of young actresses. And she goes toe-to-toe with Batman in this movie. But more importantly, she goes toe-to-toe with Christian Bale, which is very, very hard to do, as we've talked yes. about before. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, I just saw... Um... Ooh, Mary Cotard. Yikes. And they keep saying, it, she's very lovely, Mr. Wayne. Yeah. Sorry, no problem, man. I just saw the uh, the big short. Oh, I mean, C- Christian Bale, I mean, obviously does a great so job good. here. He also does an unbelievable uh, job there. And basically, everywhere he goes, he takes on a completely unique role and kills it. You know, it's not like he's playing the Tom Cruise part over and over and over again. You know? So anyway, like, like you said, Hathaway stands toe-to-toe with Christian Bale and does do a good job. And she doesn't use her sexiness like a little bit, but not too much, you know. So I think I do. Th- I, I I like that point. What I'm wondering, you, th- what what I'd like to ask you is how you think she measures up to Michelle Pfeiffer's cat- Catwoman. And keep in mind that Michelle Pfeiffer did her Catwoman in the '90s. Is that is that a serious question? You got to be kidding me. No, why? Why is it well, not a good question? Uh, because a. Michelle Pfeiffer in the early 90s is one of the hottest female actresses ever in the history of film. That's true. But but go on. Where where does that mean, though? Yeah, go on. Well, but Anne Hathaway is the far superior actress. I mean, she's already done more more interesting and diverse roles in her career than Michelle Pfeiffer ever did. Michelle Pfeiffer's like, um, you know, like Sharon Stone or something like that, you know? Like, well, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not... I don't know about all of Pfeiffer's movies. All I know is when Pfeiffer did Catwoman in the 90s, 
she killed it. I mean, she started as the dorky secretary who was all nervous and was convincing. Like, we've once talked about it before, like, you know, um, de-hotifying or making ugly, like a very beautiful actress like Cameron Diaz and like being John Malkovich, Michelle Pfeiffer in the first half of that Batman movie. And what's more interesting about, so Michelle Pfeiffer plays two parts in that movie. She does the dorky secretary and then she does the badass Catwoman. And she does Catwoman at a time where there wasn't as much precedent. There hadn't been nearly as many, well, roughly speaking. I think she broke the mold a little bit. I think she took it out a step. I think Hathaway takes it back a step, you know? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly of having a female superhero in 91 or whenever that was, was was a huge thing. Just look at the exactly. way Anne Hathaway moves around, you know? I mean, <laughs> exceptions have to be made. God, she's good. You know, he, she literally just kicks down a, a crippled dude. See, the thing is, though, the thing <laughs> is, though, like, yeah, I mean, Kat, Mitch Pfeiffer did all that. And the the two big differences, though, like I just said, is like Pfeiffer's non-Catwoman part was a dorky girl, complete opposite. Here, Hathaway's non-Catwoman part is a is not that she's being sexy and cool and seductive here. I mean, like, look, like it's not she's taking big leaps between two different parts. And also she's a lot more like previous movies to work with i don't know we can we can uh <laughs> quite lovely take different spots on that question yeah here's the first miss tate is quite lovely you know setting up the yeah the offer just wants his boy to feel better man well do you remember we talked about in the dark knight commentary that what's great about alfred is he never wants bruce wayne to give up the batman suit because of sort of you know legal or even moral reasons but because it's spiritually killing him inside and yeah. and if you know, up oh, here he is Joseph Gordon-Levitt for the most part, one of the best parts of this movie. And when when he's not, it's not his fault. We'll get to that at the end. But his, uh, you know, his turning from being a B cop into one of their top detectives, who's really running the operation <laughs> when when the whole yeah. city's on lockdown, is great. Yeah, the the I mean, the speech we'll see from Gordon-Levitt, where he basically walks into to Wayne's home and says, look, I know you're Batman because of that moment when I saw it in your eyes that you were hiding anger and putting on a fake face. That speech is incredible. Um, I'm, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Gordon Levitt kills it. I don't know who's the best part of this movie, but he is up there. So just really quickly, uh, unhappily, we'll get back to her. Um, you know, she's better than Michelle Pfeiffer just because the movie's way better and it's a way more interesting role. And the fact that she goes from being just like a pain in the butt to like an absolutely critical part of saving the world, which is a lot, you know, her, her sort of moral arc is spectacular given her screen right, time. Right, but like, I mean, look, that's, but that's a, just a difference in the position you're taking. Like, at one point a character can be good and the next point evil, but it's another thing to be two different people, you know? Like, I think Michelle Pfeiffer was two different people. She was a dorky secretary that was nervous, and then she was a you know a cat woman who was amazing and scary. And what you're talking about, I think, is just Hathaway going from like being a dickhead to being less selfish. And even when she's less selfish, she still does it smugly. So it's not like she's becoming another person. She's just like, fine, I kind of agree with what you're doing. Fine, you know. I guess for me, 
one of the things I, I love about Marvel, which I've mentioned before, is that other than Spider-Man and a couple other characters, no one's hiding their identity, <laughs> you know? Like, people know who Captain America, Steve Rogers is. People know who Tony Stark is. It's not like Batman, Superman. And so I think I prefer this portrayal where her character is one and the same, where she's just the cat, she's not Catwoman, you know, and she's just Selena Kyle, and that's who she is. And she's Fine, yeah. It, I mean, you know, I, I do like that. That is a nice contrast to the other folks in the movie. Um, but go ahead. No, I was going to say, weirdly, her and Kristen Ritter look like sisters. It's crazy. If you've seen Jessica Jones or Breaking Bad, Kristen Ritter and her look like sisters or, or first cousins. They're, they're the big lips and the pale skin and the dark hair and just the whole f- facial features. But Jessica, hey, who is she? Who is she in Breaking Bad? Uh, she plays Jane Margulis in season two. Oh, the one who's like a junkie with um, what's his face? Jesse Pinkman uh, turns her yeah. back. Into, she's clean. He turns her back into a junkie, oh, right, right, right. and then she ultimately dies. And yeah, I remember that. That's a great show. Them. But That's Jessica Jones, show. which is easily my TV show of the year for 2015, I've already watched it twice, and I'm doing commentaries for every episode of it. It's that good. She too is a superhero in New York, even though she's ground level. She doesn't give a fuck. She has super strength. She can move around. They're very restrained in her superpowers, but she's not trying to hide from anyone. I like that Selena Kyle isn't trying to hide because in 2012, just putting on a mask, let's be honest, they have her fingerprints. They have her in the, the system. Right. Well, it's interesting because actually she is trying to hide in a way, right? What's her ultimate goal? Her ultimate goal is to get that like special device that erases your identity so you can start again, right? So like it's not. It's interesting. She's not trying to hide program. in the... She's not trying to hide in the Bruce Wayne sense of like I need to be a separate person, but she's trying to hide in sort of a a more obvious way like I need to erase who I was, you know? Yeah, the clean the whole clean slate program thing never really adds up. Uh, right, which is the whole point. Yeah, I guess that is the point. It's just it's just a, a, a fake notion. This is great with Alfred. I like that they have him quit early in the movie. Uh, you know, you, yeah. ne- you needed to have Bruce totally alone. The board abandons him. He loses his assets. Yeah, and, you know, you're watching this even for the first time. Uh, the yeah, table well, scene, and you're going, okay, we know how this is going to be <laughs> brought back at the end, you know? No, absolutely. They tell I, I like that, man. I like I that too. a lot. Like, I, it, because I didn't know when I first saw it that they'd be doing that, you know? But And then, of course, when I saw it at the end, like, it hits you hard. And the cutaway is only one second, you know, um, where they show him sitting there. Is this Was that the Alfred quitting scene, or was that the scene before the Alfred quitting scene? That was not Alfred quitting. That was Alfred fantasizing about Bruce just being a happy man and just putting all this shit behind him and letting go so, and like being in Italy, but he doesn't quit yet. He quits. He quits later in a, in a more, I don't know, more, um, admirable in an admirable way. He basically says, look, I'm about to tell you something that I know will lead to you firing me, but I'm going to tell you because I think it's the only thing that will save you from yourself. And he basically says to him, look, you know, you love of your life, Katie Holmes, you know, um, what's her name? Uh, Jill and Hall, she didn't actually want to wait for you. She had given up on you. Right. So you've got to move on yourself, you know? I thought that was amazing. Yeah, and so that past Alfred scene and the one coming up, here we go with the the orphans and the Joseph Gordon-Levitt connection being an orphan funded by Bruce Wayne, although no longer and <laughs> until Wayne finds out about it. I want to talk uh, when we get there about how Joseph Gordon-Levitt puts, put the Batman thing together so quickly, other than just being a super genius for, as far as cops go. But really quickly about Alfred, that last scene 
and the one where he really starts crying and then quits coming up yeah. are his two best moments from the entire series for me by far. They let him have a long, you know, monologue. It's so filled with emotion. And then yeah. when, and then when Batman yeah, dies, that's not a coincidence. Yeah, I mean they they basically tee him up as and say Alfred, you know, put all of your heart into this moment. Well, and he thinks he can. He thinks he can pressure Bruce Wayne to stop being Batman just by leaving. Later realizes that he was wrong, and then when he thinks you know Bruce is dead, he just stands there at the grave at the end, just you know crying and be like, "Oh my God, I failed you! I failed you! I failed you!" You know his his faints or whatever. Uh, you know that. You know, well, I'm leaving if you don't if you don't quit. You know, it turns out to be not the wrong move, but it doesn't have the intended effect. And I like that they complicate Alfred's character. That's um, right. Even That's right. when he's not on screen for a large chunk. Here we go. Look at Anne Hathaway. Just I also think this it. is clever. Like the the writing here is very clever because what's her insurance policy right now? Her insurance policy is the dude she left at the bar and the phone he's she's about to hand this guy. Like it's it's brilliant. Like it's good writing, man. It's not predictable. You know? Great. I um, I love the heist stuff in here. You know, in Joker the heist stuff's all in the beginning and then it's just pure chaos. This whole movie is like high stuff going on. Uh, yeah, and it's like, and you don't exactly understand what's happening. It takes a while for you to get how all these things come together. This movie like, feels more like a comic book movie in some ways than The Dark Knight. You because know? just you know, you you've got you know you got more characters. I might say the opposite really? only because like the fact that you don't exactly understand what's happening. Like usually, like comic book movies are like the typical comic book movie is like. Here's the bad guy. Here's the good guy. Here's the first fight between them, setting up the bigger, badder, scarier fight between them. This is like a slow-moving drama with all these different pieces. It's a chess game. Well, dude, and they're, I mean, they're the best comic books. Like, the best comic books are slow-moving dramas, actually. Um, that's true, though. That's true. But not the be- look. But not the typical comic book movie. The best comic books, though, for sure. Oh yeah, I'm talking about yeah comic books. That's what I'm saying. They just the amount of characters. The writing's a little pulpier, but also funnier. I want to point out another reason I like this movie so much is they realize that they could still have the dark tone while Anne Hathaway's kicking people's asses and. Yeah, and the, making the jokes. hand-to-hand combat here is better, man. Yeah. They stepped it up a notch here. Even though it's like skinny little 90-pound Anne Hathaway, she looks fucking badass and the fighting's awesome, you know? Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she does kill it. She really does kill it, but like... Oh, she I'm killed gonna hold, stick to my, I'm going to stick to my guns on Pfeiffer. We'll, we'll read to visit, though, in an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is great. She's playing the this hysterical is, yeah, dude, yeah, she's really killing it, man. She's oh, really man. killing it. And she kills people, too, big time. And she makes a joke later to Batman about like him taking the fun out of things by not killing people or whatever. Uh, this is great shooting. The action shooting's way more consistent. But what I was going to say is, even if the action was only slightly better... <laughs> the, just the 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 humor in this movie for me makes it more rewatchable. <laughs> call me, <laughs> call me. Yeah, <laughs> he's bleeding. You gotta help him. Yeah, and, and she's an interesting foil for Bane, right? I mean, again, yeah. she's she's a normal criminal. She's a very very talented normal criminal, but she's yeah. still a normal criminal. Bane, again, as we mentioned, is more in the Joker category of of a new class of of, of criminal that that transcends in is outside and is maybe something totally different. Yeah, and like and like you know like looks like a caricature, like a weird ass mask, like all that shit. This is crazy. I mean, look at this setup. Like you've got a sniper, you've got a sniper, man. Like that's. That is not your typical fight with bad guys. Like you know that more complicated bad stuff is coming. Yeah. So they have you know? all these SWAT team guys. The 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 most egregious part of this movie 
is that they send like all three thousand cops into the sewers at once in the middle of the movie, and then they have nobody mm. but Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a couple other people. That's probably a good point, but I don't think it was all three thousand. I think it was like ninety percent. But I think it's understandable because if you think that the bad guys got a lair with the, what is it? So at that point, they suspected a nuclear weapon. I think. Well, they just knew that the League of Shadows people were in the sewers. But dude, I, I'm I'm sorry to put it this way, but if it's something where you need more than a couple dozen cops, you got to bring in the National Guard or the Army. You know, you should. Well, not if you're acting quickly. National Guard and Army is going to take some time. If they've got a if they've got a lead if they've got a lead that something insane is going on underground and it's imminent. Like, I'm pretty sure, you know, the NYPD would be never criticized for sending in 90% of its forces to go handle as fast as possible and calling the National Guard simultaneously. You couldn't wait, you know, eight hours for the National Guard to show up if you thought there was an imminent problem. I think. I don't know. Well, right, the police commissioner. This is important that he knows about the sewers. He's a street kid, you know. It's all coming together. He knows how the underground works. You know, it's almost like in Les Mis in Paris, all the, the street kids know their way through, like, the you know the various sewers and back alleyways and so forth. And um, But we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I don't think they needed to jump immediately by sending every single cop they had. It was just a convenient way of getting the police out. That's again. true. That's fine. But, oh, again, fine. It, served the lar- it served the larger story. So I was to- totally fine with that. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, like, let, let that be – like, you know – that level of what the fuck's going on isn't isn't too terrible, no, you know. No, and the uh, and the set for the sewers not only looks amazing in terms of color and size and lighting and, and the way they block the actors. And here's Bane. Um, side note: How the hell did Tom Hardy put on like seventy pounds of muscle? I mean, he doesn't look like this in real life. This is ridiculous. No. Um, but when they get the reveal that they're operating directly under Wayne Mansion is absolutely brilliant. It, you, that's why it sort of looks like the waterfall from Wayne Mansion. I think that, that that's what they're sort of telegraphing to us subtly if it's the first time watching because they end up blowing up the the floor, their ceiling or the floor where all the, the Batman technology is later, which was a great twist. You know, they're not just some random location underground. They know exactly where they are, what oh, they're yeah, under. But I mean, yeah. like you, you get some, you get some groundwork for Bane. You know, being a a guy who's not a guy who's carefully thinking things out in that opening sequence in the plane. You know, you've got the CIA guy being like, and you're telling me part of your plan was to get captured, and Bane was like, certainly I am. You know, like his he's planned every little piece out. So like they're lair being directly underneath the batmobile and all that good stuff is no surprise this by the way if you ask me is nolan's way of being like all right i'm sorry tom hardy i'm gonna put your face behind a mask but at least you'll get to show the world that you're a fucking scary motherfucker who can put on 70 pounds of muscle if you want you know so i want to um i want to throw something at you during, yeah. during our dark night podcast it was definitely a love fest for heath ledger how can you not but you, right from the beginning in the intro all the way through the end of the movie, talked about how there's so much more going on in that movie than just the villain, even though he's one of the greatest villains ever. And in the wrap-up, because I listened to some of it today in preparation. Nice, man. Cool. Um, was you talk oh, – oh, this is great. Let me get this out real quick. Was that you say – you say Joker. You say uh, Joker is the best bad guy, but Bane's the fucking scariest. And and the, you know it's like Ronan in Guardians, one dimensional, sure, but still fucking scary. Okay, here we go. Feel free to comment on this. I'm I'm reading along on the subtitles. Yeah, well, I mean, 
Well, just to quickly respond to what you just said, I th- I still stick to that. Like, Joker is a super interesting and complicated guy, and like a lot to think about there. Bane, on the other hand, I mean, the way Hardy does it, where he's just so ruthless and so determined and fucking able to beat the shit out of Batman in hand-to-hand combat, scares me more. Do you think the cartoonish voice and cartoonish mask, and I say cartoonish, I mean like comic booky, not like cheesy, um, yeah. for Bane, it was to be like, well, we're never going to be able to replicate Heath Ledger's Joker. Wait, I'm sorry to know, man. Let's, yeah. let's give uh, yes, Gordon go. Levitt his, his 20 seconds. I tried, I tried to pass it to you, and then you went backwards. No, go, I go know. Ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> go. Here it is. I don't really I'm remember. I'm just going to let him talk it out. Okay. And... Mm. He's a great actor. Here it comes. Angry in your bones. Yeah. It's one of the best monologues of the series. Move on. <laughs> Bruce knows where this is leading. Mm, hide the anger. Alright. That's not Batman's way. Uh oh. Here we go. Yes. I love this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Alright, Billionaire Orphan. He's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> JGL just killing it here. Okay. How? How? When did he see Batman? Well, just hold on, man. Hold on. No, they don't explain. That's the answer. Ah, uh, yeah. He took the fall for Dent's murder. Well, no. The uh, I think what he's saying is like. When you when you when your parents die, as a kid, and you're filled with anger, and the world like feels distant because they'll act like they understand, but they have no idea what you're feeling. No, no, no. You're missing the main question here, which is that they see Bruce Wayne. He looks in Bruce Wayne's eyes as a kid, and sees a look similar to his own, and so they relate to him as an orphan. That's exactly what I was going to say. But where's the Batman connection? When did did you? Well, that's my. So I'm Uh. getting there. So (laughs) that's all right, man. So Gordon Levitt, his whole life as a kid, is struggling with this extremely complicated feeling of this double, you know, having to hide yourself from the world, right? And like having to hide your true self from the world. And he sees Bruce Wayne. He's excited to see Bruce Wayne. So he looks at Bruce Wayne really carefully. And he sees in his eyes that this man is hiding himself from the world in a deep way. And so for him, that thought is in his mind his whole life. And so he becomes a cop. And all of a sudden, he starts learning about Batman. It's not a leap for this guy to think it's Bruce Wayne and then to look into it and go from there. They didn't spell all that out, but I think that's what happened. Recognizing that someone's hiding their true self from the world at all times, even though they're standing in plain sight. That's what I think the link is. That's uh, a little weak to me. It's one thing for Joker to think that Batman was Harvey Dent. By the way, he jumped out the window to save Rachel. I can understand that, but you're, you're, you know, he's making a connection as a boy that not only is this guy hiding nah, something. You're, you're not, oh, I'm sorry. He makes a connection as a boy. This guy has a complicated, hidden life, and then he becomes a cop. And when he's a cop, 
he has that thought always, and not not every. It's not like every time he looks in the mirror, he's like Bruce Wayne looks like this. But he has it in his mind, and he's, dude, you're a cop living in Batman City, and Batman's the number one criminal, so you're gonna think about Batman a lot. And it probably, I would not be surprised if one morning Joseph Gordon-Levitt wakes up and is like, I bet you Bruce Wayne is Batman, and then he just does the rest. He's like, okay, I want to get back to that real quick. Here we go, Jim Gordon. We, we won. Jim Gordon says based on a lie. You know, it's not a real victory. We need Batman. What if he doesn't exist? He must. He must. Um, yeah, it's interesting that, that Gordon Levitt puts it together before Jim Gordon. I, I, it kind of makes well, sense. Well, Jim Gordon, Jim Gordon just sees a dude in a mask. So wait. So, never- so well, just to wrap up. Oh, man. Woo! Anne Hathaway and Pearl. She does look great. It's a great idea. They, they work perfectly on her. Uh, this is awesome. <laughs> she beats this guy up even though she, he was robbed. <laughs> Uh, so wait, so are you saying that Joseph Gordon-Levitt realized it as a cop? Thinking yes, back? yes. It's not. Oh. It's not. That's what I'm saying. It's not like he stood there at that moment and he says, "Here's I'm a guy with a complicated feeling. He must be Batman." Right. He stood there at a moment and will and never forgot the moment when he said, "Bruce Wayne is hiding something deeply." And like because he because Gordon-Levitt his whole life is hiding something and having to struggle with this like two identities, right? So he sees Bruce Wayne going through the same thing. And then later in his life, he's a cop, and he's thinking about Batman, and he makes the connection. That's what I think the answer is. Yeah, I, I usually give movies credit for not overdoing the exposition. That was one that I but just But that would have been a helpful exposition. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. There is a leap there that you got to read in between the lines, but I think that's it. And I also think Gordon Levitt, just in that conversation, confirms it. He's sort of strongly suspicious, and he watches the way Christian Bale reacts, and that confirms it totally for him. Yeah, um, society hag. Okay, so one of the really interesting issues in this movie that does not appear in the other two directly is the issue of class, right? The underclass, you know, the working class, um, of which Selena Kyle, even though she's stolen a lot of stuff, is from and still kind of a part of. That's right. Versus the wealthier, more powerful classes. And, you know, I talk about how there's a reason royalty marries royalty, a lot of it's political, like these two if they ended up together, but they also can relate to each other. Even though she's lying about who she is, she did grow up wealthy and privileged once she got out of that pit, essentially. Um, to get to this point, you have to imagine for her to get to this level of uh, identity. Um, and, right, and they juxtapose the rich woman and the uh, you know the thief just trying to get by, and ultimately Bruce ends up being more attracted to to her, you know, to someone of the lower classes, and you know, yeah, it, it, I mean, I, like I don't I don't know if maybe not. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I do like this idea of juxtapose. I think you know, like like I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. You know, this this idea that Bane's about rising up against the rich and like you know showing the world that. You can't just be rich assholes and expect everyone to fall into place. I like that a lot. Um, I think, and Pitha, <laughs> I like that they throw Hathaway in here, and she's kind of an outsider. And Wayne points it out, and I don't. I mean, I think Wayne's got an equal boner for both of them. <laughs> you know, well, no. I, I guess what I'm saying you can is split the boner. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, it's, yeah. It's hard to tell who he likes yeah, more. Yeah. He likes both of them. They're both gorgeous, obviously. Yeah. Um, but if you just watch the way that Christian Bale plays it, 
his his uh, um, reaction and response to Tate a couple minutes ago. There was an attraction, but a big part of the attraction, you know, was and will continue to be until she's outed. That they, really, they are the only two people that can relate to one another between their level of wealth and the League of Shadows. Even though he doesn't know that she's League of Shadows yet, yeah. th- you know, they can relate to each other on paper the best. This is the whole opposites attract thing, right? But but who? But there's a reason. Well, but. But there's a reason they have him dance with Selena, this long dance, because their physical chemistry is immediately, you know, like palpable. That's a great point. And I think that's something we have not seen with Katie Holmes or Maggie Gyllenhaal. And I don't know if just the writing or the actress or Bale just feeling more comfortable in this role. But, dude, we've already had more uh, Bruce Wayne than, like, half the Dark Knight, you know? That's all great points. And I yeah. love that. Right, I love yeah, that. Yeah, I buy all of that, man. That's great. Like, I think that's all right. I mean... The um, I'm sorry. Remind me the name of the other female lead that's not Anne Hathaway. Well, she goes. Uh, um, oh, her real name's Marianne Cotard. Yeah, I was call her Marianne. That's yeah, fine. That's she plays right. Miranda so, yeah. Tate, who's really yeah, Talia Tate, that's right. Al Ghul. Yeah, yeah. So like, like Tate, like you just said, just right. Tate and Bale, um, Tate and Wayne, relate on paper and have a deep intellectual connection, and I think it's because, um, you know, Wayne recognizes her as like being a person of very, very high society and tons of money and all of that stuff. and But he also sees that she's not just playing the same old boring game that everyone else at that level of society plays, you know? And he respects that, like you said. And, yeah, again, like you said, you're oh, right. The physical go. chemistry between between, <laughs> <laughs> between yes. Christian Bale. Oh, look at yeah, that. She's such a badass. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the, the physical chemistry between Christian Bale and Hathaway ah, is great. And great. I wonder if it's because – if it's also because of the writing. Because because Catwoman's coming at Batman or, you know, however you want to say it, from a way of being an antagonist, of taking his shit and laughing in his face – and so Wayne's naturally more interested in that than like, you know, his old longtime girlfriend, heartthrob, sweetheart. It's like a different kind of interesting, you know? Yeah, plus, anyway. plus the just attraction that a guy like Bruce Wayne would have, thinking that he could turn her into a good guy, which he eventually does at the very, very end of the yeah. movie after a lot of work, after she betrays him, after she almost yeah. betrays him a second time. Yeah. Uh, but she has that little spark in her soul. And, you know, she's able to ignite that little spark in his soul. I mean, he smiles more when he's around her, even as Batman. I think he smiles with her with Batman at some point in this movie. I don't think that's happened ever before, you know. Um, But what's great is when you watch this for the first time, I I didn't see the Miranda Tate uh, backstab coming. I didn't. I didn't, you know. I I was wondering how the writers were going to get there. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's a little cringeworthy when it happens. But, again, it doesn't matter because the performances from Marion Cochard and and, uh, and everyone else are, are, are so great. By the way... We haven't really seen Bane, except very briefly, since the first, like, what, eight to ten minutes. But yeah. it's such an affecting open, as we talked about. I, I'm always talking about how the first scene sets the, you know, sets the stage for the whole movie. We know what that is in The Dark Knight with the bank robbery. You know, yeah. the, the, the Bane you know what, stuff. You know what, another function, I'm assuming when you talk about the first scene, you mean the plane. Like, yeah. another function of the plane is it creates mystery. It's like, why did that plane shit happen? And you know something crazy is going to spill out of that. And you're just waiting for it to all piece together. That's what's, you know what, that really, I, I'm going to tip my hat to Nolan if I haven't done it enough already. Mm. And say, like, this, you know, hour-long setup of, like, one action scene followed by an hour of just seeing Bruce Wayne without the mask is so brilliant because you create the mystery in the first two minutes with one of the best action sequences maybe ever. 
and then you spend an hour to explain it, and everyone's interested for that whole time because it was so badass the first two minutes. So yeah, Nolan and the writers, all those guys get a big thumbs up. Okay, so the bat here that we're about to see, or maybe not till he flies it, is so much more practical than the Batmobile. Uh, but what's great is oh yeah, yeah. They, what's great is they repurpose it does the, come in black. Yeah, they uh, oh the autopilot right. That's the little the little. Uh, you know, foreshadowing there. But um, what's great is they do have all these Batmobiles, and they end up in the hands of Bane in the League of Shadows. You know, they're using his own technology against him. But luckily, this is far more effective. Um, oh, this is awesome. This is a very t- Tony Stark thing there. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, but if anyone had access to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, he's, everyone's joking. They're just, everything's a little lighter. I don't know what it is, you know. It's just not so dour. Um, yeah, that's right. You know? That's right. Like it's and it's you know, but they've always got a. F- him and Alfred always have a funny back and forth. You're hoping to try it, Alfred. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What time? What, what like time a, are you on, by the way? Oh, in the movie. Um, right now it's thirty nine thirty four. So as I mentioned earlier, I don't think it's a surprise uh, that we saw the waterfall image underground where Bane is. I think, in fact, that's a, a very strong clue that they're directly below where they're standing right here. And that's how all the weaponry ends up in, in Bane's hand. It's, it's a great twist. You know, you try to bury this stuff deep, deep, deep down, but the smartest terrorists and the smartest criminals will figure it out. Here it is. Right. Alfred given the rundown on Bane, born and raised in hell and earth. Um, and this is the uh, misdirection story. And the only way the story works is that they found a very, very uh, gender-neutral-looking young person to play the role where you think it's Bane and it's a little boy. But in fact, it's a little girl with her head shaved, Miranda Tate, a.k.a. Talia al Ghul. So they're starting the legend here. And as I mentioned in previous podcasts, one of the things that you either love or don't like about this movie is the fact that it's sort of a second origin story starting here culminating in the pit and and all the self-realization that's going on there um and then coming back and 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 truly being batman again and this is it here it is this is alfred's appeal that time's passed i mean he he's crying the whole time this is so beautiful their relationship michael kane just killing it as always right i'm afraid that you want to and this is always a question you have to have to ask superheroes especially those without superpowers who are constantly getting their ass kicked is, you know, do they have a death wish? And the fear or lack thereof is a major part of Bruce Wayne in the pit later, which we will get to talking about how fear, you need fear to survive. Okay, this is definitely a mirror to the bank vault stuff at the beginning of The Dark Knights. Here we see what's essentially Wall Street's, uh, the New York Stock Exchange repurposed to be the Gotham Stock Exchange. And uh, yeah, is there a little uh, Matrix moment here, right, where he sets off the alarm, uh, and then all the guns come out? This is a great plan too, because the the apparent uh, aims of you know robbing the bank and and framing Bruce Wayne uh, end up being way more complicated and and devious than, than is the case at first. Um, Dude, all the stuff you just said was great. Um... You know, I guess going backwards uh, in terms of things being more complicated and devious, that's damn right. Like the the Tate twist at the end is brilliant. I I respectfully take a little bit of a different position in terms of bringing out a second origin story. Um, in a way, sure, it's distracting, not perfect, 
But in another way, like, think about it. In the second movie with the Joker, you're constantly teased about an origin story. You know, you're like, how the fuck did Joker get so weird? And he, like, teases the audience explicitly, like, oh, my dad was a tyrant. And, like, you know, my wife, she was a tyrant. Well, side note, dude, side note, note, I'm on the side of loving the the hero story in this one. I'm I'm just saying. Oh, my bad. I totally missed her. I apologize. Oh, great. Then I'm totally agreeing with you. And, yeah, I mean, in that case, then, yeah, I think it's it's very satisfying because. I love the middle action movies. I'm always talking about this. With the Avengers, sometimes people are like, oh, the middle's too slow when they're helicarrier. I'm like, dude, that's the best part of the movie with the character stuff and the writing going on there. I love the middle acts of Guardians of the Galaxy and the prison. That's the best thing in the movie for me. Dude, exactly, yeah. man. Like, it's it's like you're going to build, like, an epic two-and-a-half-hour movie, put some mini-movies inside it so we get it doubly entertained. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's totally right. And, like, you, you know, with the, I think the way you said it was phenomenal. The difference between a death wish you know, as a hero or a villain, if you have a death wish, you're going to die yep. versus having fear because you want to live mm-hmm. makes the difference between it being able to fight at the top levels of fighting or not. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, you'll see like the first time that Bane meets Batman, he's like, victory has made you weak, you know, like all that shit. And like, you know, you've defeated yourself and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I couldn't agree with everything you said more. And I do like the matrix connection where he walks in with the helmet and sets off the alarms and then, all of a sudden, we're in the middle of this. It's also nice because, you know, big picture, what's the what's the real story like Like we once talked about? It's kind of like, the, you know, the March on Wall Street, the 99%, the 1%, you know, and, and they're not being ambiguous about it here. You know, Bain walks straight into the stock exchange and is like, I'm going to, you know, break this and I'm going to bring my boys out and things are going to change. Um, but yet, yet, I don't feel, I don't feel annoyed by the level of similarity. Again, like we were talking about, like I think it's a lot better if a movie's gonna make some kind of critique that's like on the nose, you know, like, oh, you know, Wall Street just happened, ninety nine percenters just happened, and here we're doing it again. If they're doing it on the nose, it can be a little annoying, but here they somehow do it right. They give you enough distance, they give you enough like far fetchedness, like like we were talking about. I thought Bridge of Spies, that Tom Hanks movie is really, you know, Cohen Brothers' way of saying the Patriot Act and everything that happened after 9-11 is completely crazy. But because the Cohen Brothers move you way back into the 1950s, you don't mind hearing that message in a veiled way. Just like here, you don't mind hearing this message of, like, March on Wall Street and all that shit in a little bit of a veiled way because it's not too on the nose, you know? Like, I don't know, to, and the risk of talking too long. Like, you know, like those movies where it's like, you know, they have the global warming resulting in, you know, the some of all fears and Manhattan drowning. You just don't give a fuck because you've heard so much about it in the news and all that stuff that you're just like, OK, I get it. I fucking get it. Bad things are happening. You don't care. But like if they put a little bit of buffer and they make the message a little more subtle, it just works. Anyway, I'm boring the audience. So why don't you take the mic? No, I was just going to talk about, you know, we talk about uh, Occupy Wall Street, um, you know, the 99 percent. Uh, which was going on already when this is happening and whose legacy we are still dealing with uh, today in the presidential primaries and, and so forth. But, um, yeah. you know, so it was great. They got this, the uh, stock market in, <laughs> uh, the stock market imagery in. But, uh, you know, one thing that's interesting about the movie, just to set it up because it hasn't happened yet with the takeover of Gotham, um, is that... 
you know, on the surface, you can say you could argue that this is either pro ninety nine percent or anti ninety nine percent, right? I mean, pro ninety nine percent would be, yeah, all the rich people are you know pretty evil, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of poor people. Uh, you know, they're they're setting that up through Selena Kyle and her friends and the slums that they live in. We've never seen like the slums before. We see it this movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, you could also argue that when you give the people the power, they immediately turn into an angry, violent, vengeful mob. Right. Uh, yeah. And if you read, well, if you read Nolan, do, you, if, do we, well, hold on. do we actually see that though? Or go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. If you read Nolan on the subject, he takes a very liberal perspective of it being, you know, pro 99%, just in the sense of like that being a reality. Um, God, this guy's such a douche. Um, but, uh, <laughs> he, he does a douche real well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but as my favorite living philosopher, Slavoj Žižek, talked about in his review of this uh, movie a few years back, it's, you know, it, it, it conflates a number of different, um, you know, visions of the multitudes, of the mobs, and they're not always compatible, and the message is a little, um, is a little mushy or messy, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Go ahead. Uh, what? <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think the nice thing about creating the buffer, that is to say, like not saying, "Hey, audience, we're now talking about Occupy Wall Street." The nice thing about creating the buffer is you don't have to be very specific in your critique. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no one creates a little bit of a buffer, and you don't really know where he stands on Occupy Wall Street, but you know, it's like he knows he's writing about something and doing something that people care about, and like. And that's enough for him. He doesn't have to give you the message. And therefore, Occupy Wall Street is good, or therefore, or Occupy Wall Street is bad. Like because that's annoying, you know. Um, that being said, I don't think at the end you can say that Nolan's saying, "Oh, look at how much the masses have fucked up the city." I mean, I don't think, I don't think when the masses came in, when Bane's boys came in. There was any expectation that they would be proper and that they would maintain any kind of order. I think the whole point is they would come in and they would destroy people's homes and they would just fucking break everything because they're mad, you know? So it's like, it's not about like, you know, Bane's Boys making a better society. It's just about Bane's Boys destroying the current society. Uh oh. I think. What do you think? I think you're absolutely right. And uh, uh, I, I would say, you know. Um, just to bring a little Marvel in, one of the only m- important issues that Marvel's dealt with better than uh, Batman is um, arms manufacture with Tony Stark and Iron Man because Batman also has made a ton of money off of arms manufacture over the years. Um, it's not really that is important for his character, and because of what he's funding, we're fine with it. Um, and, you know, we don't need uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. going to Afghanistan or whatever. Uh, you know, but they both are dealing with that. Uh, by the way, this came out three months after the Avengers in 2012. Um, Avengers made a billion and a half, and this made a billion after the Dark Knight with a billion four years earlier. It was the yeah. highest grossing superhero movie ever. Then from 2008, 2012, Avengers 1.5, and this comes out and makes quote unquote just a billion and changed yeah. everything forever. They also both drop nukes away from the city at the end of each movie. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I've talked about how John Favreau with Iron Man talks openly about Batman Begins informing the original Iron Man story in terms of the origin stuff. 
And uh, it's interesting that it, the, the second origin story in here has some similarities to the Iron Man origin story, being injured in a cave, right? Trying to, you know, figure out how to get out That's of this, like, Middle nice. Eastern cave. Who knows? You know, the, the sort uh, of dialogue. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. Uh, it's such a badass. I mean, it looked, it looked yeah. that good in The Dark Knight, but it definitely continues to look better. You know, it's, it's like uh, <laughs> the, the – I never thought about that nice similarity between the cave – for you know Iron Man, and then you know Bane being in the hole. That's because you're not as fucking super nerd geek dork <laughs> like myself, <laughs> dude. Or I might put it as like brilliant when it comes to everything, and especially oh, movies. But anyway, <laughs> um, en- enough of the mutual you know circle jerk. Yeah. We got going. <laughs> well, that's what the Bizzlecast is basically, right? I- I'm hey, trying to get a girl best. on. No, you're the best. I'm trying. I'm trying to get a girl on, man. If you know any assertive girls. Who like to discuss anything? Be happy to have. Oh, them you on. know what? I've got a potential candidate. Okay. who could be funny. We'll figure that okay. out though when we're not okay. when we're not recording. If you don't mind, yeah, yeah. whatever. Anyway, um, no, but the I do wonder whether the Avengers, like the Avengers, was a great movie, really great movie, um, and it set a real high bar for Batman because the Avengers was just so entertaining and so much fun and so punchy, and then this new you know third Batman movie comes out. And it's slow moving, and it takes an hour before we get some real action. And the action is not seven superheroes on the scene fighting it out. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, The Dark Knight Rises, you know, the movie we're watching, making a billion and change is still a huge success. But, you know, Batman begins, or I think that's The Dark Knight, you said, four years earlier, making a billion and change is, you know, a lot more. Anyway, so I would say it's a huge success, but it's still a relative, you know, failure, right? Because the Avengers is much better and the previous Batman movie is much better in terms of gross, right? So all I'm really trying to say is, like, why is the gross worse? I think it's because the action's slower moving and more subtle, which makes the, you know, which makes the guys like us who really love the nitty-gritty of these movies love the shit out of it, but makes the average moviegoer maybe not love it as much, you know? Can I give you a few reasons here? Sure, sure, sure. Um, I don't think it's that they failed. It, they failed in, in um, predicting possible outcomes, um, of this entire film year going forward in terms of DC and Marvel, they way underestimated how important all the solo Marvel films were. Because if you look individually at Thor, Cap, and even the Iron Man movies, you know, it was a big jump to the Avengers money-wise. But yeah. because each of those movies got fans, and then there were fans who just loved Cap or just loved Thor, but then you had fans that loved all of them or two of them, you know, laying the groundwork for the Avengers, people felt like they knew the characters already. It was a, yeah. it was a team up, which we had never That's seen nice before. Point. That's a very nice But point. W- the sad thing for me is the things that I complain about with the Dark Knight that they fix here, like better fighting, more and better humor, um, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, here he is. You know, like they fixed all the things I didn't like in the Dark Knight, and it's still you know lost, quote unquote, to the Avengers. Well, I think I think you I think you basically I think you hit it on the head, dude. Because speaking of hitting on the what, head, Jesus Christ! <laughs> all right, and yeah, the hand to hand here is much better. It's much better. Like it's not as much slow, luggy shit, and like there's also sexual tension right there. That's awesome. Yeah. Like anyway, so I think you hit it on the head because. You know, when you're going into the Avengers movie, movie, you're first of all going for the novelty of all these guys being together. And then every single fan of Iron Man, Cap, you know, any one of those individual guys are going to see the next movie in that series. You know, so you're pulling in so many different demographics. You've got like the straight Iron Man fans and then you've just got anyone who's interested in seeing how this all works. 
You know, so it was, you know, it's not that Batman was a relative failure. It's that Avengers was such an amazing success Absolutely. because it was so perfect. I think you're exactly right. There's, there was just something so rewatchable about the original Avengers. That's the kind of movie people go two, three, four times to see, even casual viewers. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how you get from a billion to a billion and a half. That's how Star Wars got from a billion and a half to two billion was the rewatches. Oh, and you're, and you're right, dude. The gadgets in this movie are so much better. Like this like flying centipede, whatever the fuck it's called, the bat, is fucking awesome. And then his motorcycle's awesome. And like they finally moved away from just the old classic Batmobile. But mind you, I mean, like I love the way they did the Batmobile in the second movie. You know, like it's just more of like an army off-road crazy thing. But these, these gadgets are fucking great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, uh, the, the thing I say about Brian Singer with the X-Men movies... Um, and that's true about the Nolan movies, and especially this one, is the CGI always looks amazingly real, um, or at least appealing, whereas some of the Avengers movies, there's some spotty CGI, even today. Um, you know, I talked with my friend Matt about the sort of realism problem in Marvel Studios, but I'm not really sure they care about pure realism in comic book movies, where the X-Men aesthetic and the Batman aesthetic, and Zach Miller with the new X, uh, Batman Superman, definitely is going for a more, you know, believable, quote-unquote, you know, realistic aesthetic, uh, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, I mean, like, you know my biggest critique of some of the Marvel movies is that Uh-oh. they're too glossy and, like... <laughs> They just feel like you're watching a cartoon, like a, you know. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I got to interrupt you. I, I, so there's that great bit where she flies away from him and he doesn't see it coming. <laughs> That's what that feels like. But yeah, he I says like with nobody around to himself, we never hear Batman yeah. talk to himself. He says, so yeah. that's what it feels like. <laughs> right? Yeah, I right. mean. That's totally for us. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I, and I think that's a joke. Yeah. That's a thing. This, I think this movie has real humor. Anything in, you know involving him and Selena Kyle, it's just so. And this is what I keep saying about Ultron and Reloaded. The best movie isn't always going to be the one that you watch the most, you know? Yeah, I absolutely believe that believe the Dark Knight is a better but movie. I, I mean, you know, we're almost an hour into this, and we probably not topple not nearly as many deep topics as as Dark Knight, but just as an enjoyable, you know, rewatchable movie. I'm more likely yeah. to come to this at, at this point based on the last couple scenes alone. I mean, look at this. We see him in the armor without the helmet on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like, well, I mean, no one obviously knows what he's doing because. He didn't rush this movie out. Uh oh! Like, League of Shadows. Yeah, uh, they finally said it. And and but I mean yeah and and picking up though on the gadgets and the hand to hand and the jokes like those were the exact things that might have been missing a little bit from the first two and no one somehow just did it exactly right here. He added just enough of it so he didn't feel like he broke the mold from his two two previous, but he added just enough to keep us satisfied. You know, it's impressive. It's impressive because he he's. He's so thoughtful. He like carefully shifts different, you know, variables without here's, breaking the mold. Here's, you know, here's Alfred leaving. Set yeah, you up. I've set your bones, but I won't bury you. I, yeah, I think that's the, a, and that's great writing. The writing in this movie, dialogue wise, for me is my favorite of the three movies. Likewise, easy, yeah, easy choice. You know, I mean, that's what's great about Batman, a comic book movie or otherwise, is Bruce Wayne. Right, as cool as Batman is. Bruce Wayne is just endlessly compelling. Yeah. And yeah, because you care for him. He's a kid that's hurt. He's just a hurt kid. Right. And, and, but you don't, we don't really get to know him until here. He's three-dimensional. He's funny. He's sensitive. He's interested in, in, in passion, you know, and love. And, uh, you know, I, and yet, you want to guess what the budget was on this in, two, excuse me, in 2012? No, what was it? 
have no idea. No idea. Okay. So um, most of the solo uh, Marvel movies are in the high 180s. Um, yeah. Somehow Avengers 1 uh, was $220 million, And Avengers 2, Ultron, which was three years after this, was $250 million. This is $250 million. So, you know, the, o- the only movies that had approached this much money in terms of production, because they all go over, is um, are the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, which cost like $400 million a piece, if you can believe that. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and maybe um, uh, Avatar. And, you know, you look at the movie, you go, it looks great. W- what were they spending $250 million on? Um, and I'm not just saying this rhetorically, and people don't realize that that extra twenty, thirty million—that's what makes the airplane stuff look real. You know, it's flawless. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and this is my complaint about Star Wars. As soon as I heard that Star Wars production budget, like a year or two ago, I heard the one that just came out, Force Awakens. I heard that it was two hundred million dollars. I immediately got nervous. And while I love the movie, there's like two or three scenes or, or sets of scenes that with $20 million more million would have looked way cooler and they could have done way more stuff with. And you know what? Star Wars did great for itself. But I like that they took the money here and they're like, no, we are going to blow up the city, but we're not going to blow up the world and we're going to use money in more subtle and interesting ways. Sorry, I just went on there for a while about box office. No, that's, yeah. that's all right, dude. No, I'd never actually thought about that That. You know, when we're sitting there and we're saying, holy God, this like crazy scene with these planes are just it just looks so good. It It's only because the the studios go above and beyond on spending. They're basically yeah. like no cap, Christopher Nolan, you do whatever the hell you want versus like, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but a hard cap of 180. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of money to make a movie. But at that point, a director has to say to themselves, well, I'm going to not do this thing or I'm not going to do that thing versus saying, hey, Chris, just go bonkers and make this perfect. And you can see it. You can see it and you can feel it. And the movie's that much better for it. And at the end of the day, when the movie's pulling in, you know, a billion and change, a studio has to be insane to say, you know, hard cap at 200 versus 230 or whatever, you know? Oh, I love this! I love this bad cape. By the oh, way, yeah. we talked about it last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah, ahead. Yeah, right. Um, so, just really quickly with the numbers, and this is important, and this is another way I'm going to stand up for rises, even though it quote unquote only made a billion. So, ba- <laughs> so Batman begins. Like, look at this. This little yeah. fucking scene wouldn't have happened otherwise. They would have just shot down to the bottom. But go ahead. Yeah, you know how expensive it is to do this on a giant spring or whatever. I mean, this is like really difficult. This is a serious scene, man. Yeah, I mean, not like serious, but like this was not cheap. They might have spent a million dollars to make that scene happen. Just that, like, nine seconds. Did you ever see the... Um, well, I'll get back to the box office stuff, because the neutron bomb is, like, the coolest-looking thing ever. Um, oh, we also have to talk about clean energy, which is what we'll this movie's also about in a nice, yeah. distance way. Anyway. We'll get there. Um, in terms of... Uh, we talked about J.J. Abrams and uh, uh, with Star Wars and practical effects. Did you see the Star Trek reboot in 2009 directed by J.J. Abrams? Oh my god, yes. Right. Yeah, but I dude, I while I was watching that movie, I bought a Star Trek t-shirt online. <laughs> I love I fucking loved it. I love both of those Star Trek movies. I actually I love you. This is really turning into a circle jerk. I love you for loving those movies. <laughs> I, I'm obsessed god, with man. those movies. Holy shit. I love they're incredible. They're incredible. And like what's that pretty boy's name Chris Pine? Chris Pine's the man. He, he's not just a pretty boy. No. He's fucking hilarious. Dude, he gets he's his, great. He gets his face pounded in. Con- I mean, that's all that Kirk Constantly, does. Right? You know, have you seen him in horrible bosses too no 
Horrible Bosses 2 is hilarious, and Chris Pine steals the show from Jason Sudeikis and the dude from Arrested Development and the dude from um, There's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Chris Pine comes in and is just more funny than all. Okay, well, I want to talk Star Trek 3 after the movie's over with you because it's going to be great with Idris Elba and Simon Pegg writing. Um, However, this is the scene where you buy Miranda Tate because he buys her. You know, I always talk about this in movies. It's like Mm. the easiest way to sell a character who you're not sure about is to have the character that you love and you know and understand, you know, act and talk like they trust the person or don't trust the person or whatever. Right. And he genuinely trusts her. Yep. That's a great point. And we find over and over again that Bruce Wayne is not a good judge of character. Right. (laughs) It's funny. I mean, look at, uh, look at, look at, uh, Harry, look. Um, excuse me. Uh, look at. Wait, who? Wait, not Harry. No, I know. Two Face. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Harvey. Well, I mean, look no, at Harvey Dent. Well, he was the wrong. It's a little different. It's a little different because Wayne trusts him up to the point that his, you know, love of his life um, and his his love of his life dies, and his face gets burned in half. And at that point, Wayne, you know, Batman requests doesn't even re-question, but the next time he sees him, he's up to no good. And it's, look, at the end of the day, I would never fault someone if they said, I trusted the person before their face was burned in half and their wife got killed. You know, and then when their wife got killed and their face got burned in half, they went out on a killing spree. I would never fault the person that trusted that person. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it in a clear way, but I think you know what I'm driving at. Like, I don't, in other words, long story short... I never fault Wayne for trusting Two-Face. I never fault Wayne for trusting Harvey Dent because Harvey Dent was not Two-Face. Harvey Dent was a great man. When Harvey Dent's face got burned in half, he was a different man. So Wayne did not make a mistake there. Um, But Wayne does make a mistake here. So, like, you're totally right. He makes a mistake here. I'm just not sure if it's a pattern, you know? There's only one morally ambiguous character that he ever turns to the good side, and it's Anne Hathaway at the end of this movie, and that's part of what's brilliant. To me... Mm, There's a nice balance there, right? He trusts someone who's wrong. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, to to me, the you know their relationship as forged through this crisis is ultimately more interesting than you know dropping a nuclear bomb ten miles off the shore, which is glorious. But from a dramatic standpoint, the whole movie I think is building towards that. You know, is that we we're not just going to give you know someone to run uh, to ride off on the sunset with Bruce Wayne. We're going to actually develop her as a character. In terms of personality, in terms of her ethics, and so forth, yeah. over an entire movie, and so when you see them sitting together at the end, you really buy it, and that's hard to pull off, especially when there's been you know three other women in the series, if you count the two Rachels and Miranda Tate as well. Um, uh oh. Yeah. Uh, see, that's in a rated arm. Bane's uh, a scary motherfucker. Do you feel in charge? <laughs> Do you feel? It's so. Good, uh, okay, man. so here's so here's the question. So we both love Deadpool. Talking a lot about Deadpool, Deadpool rated R. Yeah. If you could make a movie like this rated R, would you? You mean, what are we talking about? Are we talking about Deadpool or are we talking about Batman? Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. All right, this movie. Um, I'm going to start over the top and say I would not change a thing about this movie. Um, because I think it's a masterpiece. Because I think Nolan has put a tail end onto a trilogy where the first two movies were each also masterpieces that leaves the audience satisfied that in and of itself has great storylines like we were just talking about. So like the idea of something becoming rated R and therefore getting more sexy and getting more violent and getting more dirty 
Like, you don't need that here. You don't need any of that shit here for this thing to be so good. You got the gadgets. You got the girls. You got the bad guys. You got the good guys. You've got the interesting character storylines. You've got the societal themes, the interweaving. Everything, man. Everything is in this movie. Yeah. I, I'm just going to give – what's more than two thumbs up? Three thumbs okay. up? Three thumbs up to this movie, you know? So in other words, I don't think it needs the rated R. No, it doesn't. Shit it doesn't. It it doesn't. Look, I, look, I'm going to jump back on R. I want to talk about this. This is at least the third amazing scene between these two. Yeah. And you're right. You know what? You know what? I'm coming around to half the way being better than Pfeiffer. i got to admit it. And, look, I'm coming around to Well, it. just look at the way the, – the comportment of – of Christian Bale, That's a great word. Yeah, he, he yeah. His, his his posture is different. His face is more open and expressive. He's smiling. I mean, she's really the jolt of life that he needs. You know, and mm, uh, that's interesting. It's just a great. That's match. interesting. It works on a few levels. Yeah, because I mean, essentially, we see Wayne opening scene. He's a depressed, you know, hobbling, you know, shadow of his former self. And now we see him, he's, like, got a little more spark of life. And you're right, because Hathaway's fucking with him, and, you know, it's interesting, actually. It's actually a brilliant plot device, because how do you get a man who's a billionaire and a genius and, like, you know, know, out from his shell? You force him out of his shell by having people steal shit from him and being sexy and seductive at the same time. Well, she's working him on that angle, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is working in the the hard sell, direct sell. And that's the... That's the that's the compelling plot. Well, that's the question of the first hour. How do you get Wayne to act? And you bring in two interesting characters. And yeah, I never thought about it from that angle. Yeah, go ahead. Real quick, I love. I love that. Um, not just do I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I love that Batman has someone he can confide in and trust about Batman. And he didn't even have a choice. You know, Gordon-Levitt sought him out, called him out on it. He done, but he immediately adopts the kid. Essentially, you know, which is ironic, all having physically adopted him through his organization as well. Anyways, with Rachel dead and Alfred gone, and Lucius, you only see it in the boardroom. You had to have someone he could talk to about it. And what's great is we we know that Selena Kyle coming up sees him dismasked or whatever, right? Yeah. In, in the sewers. And yet, when they re- when they meet again in the final quarter or whatever, and try and hatch a plan, she constantly pretends like she still doesn't know, even though we know and they know, you know, until she kisses him, and then they're like, "Okay, she definitely knows." I just like the way I just like the way they played it, like, it, it, yeah, you know, like a, like a, like a secret identity wouldn't be fun if you can't break the rule sometimes, right? Sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I actually, I thought you were going to take that a little bit of a different angle because. I think it's interesting what's happening here. First of all, like the first time I saw this, I was like, this is strange that you actually see Bruce Wayne being like romantic and intimate beyond just a kiss. You know what I mean? He's so much like, more three-dimensional in this movie. That, exactly. Yeah. You see him romantic and intimate beyond a kiss, like being a real human, like having a moment with a woman like by a fire. And like, but so anyway, the first half of what you're saying was what, you know, Rachel's dead, Alfred's gone, Lucius is the only guy on the board. So like he's got a, he, essentially there's a power vacuum. You know, who's going to come and fill the role of Wayne's confidant? And, like, so it makes total sense that Tate steps in here and gets real close right away. You know what I mean? Mention like the it devil makes it and he and shall appear. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes Sorry. it much more believable that Tate could sweep, swoop in here because Wayne's vulnerable. And actually, now that I think about it, Tate's a fucking genius. Oh, like, totally. Because think about, she's the think smartest about character she, in the whole series, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And because, I mean, think about it. This whole time she's building up, like, 
trust, but also a tiny bit of sexiness with, with Wayne the whole time. And she also knows that he's going to be his most vulnerable after his riches are gone, right? That shot's incredible. That's a $230 million shot right there. Amazing. Um, yeah. Okay, here we go into the sewers. This is where the whole, the whole movie, you know, almost ha- exactly halfway through flips. Um, on what? Sorry. Hmm. I just want to watch. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she betrays him. She feels horrible about it from the beginning. He never, I mean, he forgives her immediately at the end because he needs her help. And realizes that they oh right Bane's offering her the the clean slate program right is that the whole idea that's why she does that 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 the League of Shadows is saying they're going to be able to hide her um, yeah that's, I mean, that's wait, the wait, wait wait what what's the actual question like why no is she I always forget him? why she betrays him other than just money well right she right she well first of all she says you asked because it gives her it's nice because it gives her peace of mind she knows she's bringing Batman to his death. But he asks, so she's going to do it. And she, why is she doing it? Why is she acting for the League of Shadows? Because she knows if she doesn't, she'll get killed. By the way, great music here. We don't hear that in the other ones, I don't think, as much. I mean, Hans Zimmer just goes straight Hans Zimmer in this movie, which I like. Well, let, me, let me catch up to you. Boom. I'm at uh, 111.20. No, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just, my headphone wasn't in. Oh. But yeah, this scene's incredible. Not the serious I fear. This is when, this this is uh, it's a good ass scene. This is this is when I became very scared of Tom Hardy of Bane more so than Joker. How is Joker's that Tom Hardy? And, like he must be taking know, steroids. That's it's the only way. Well, I probably. I mean, he, he wasn't. What to the extent Mark McGuire wasn't taking steroids, you could say the same thing. Like he was taking superhuman growth hormone, whatever was legal without. Destroying your balls for life. That's what Hardy was creatine. taking. Creatine. Yeah, creatine plus human growth hormone. Like, you know, not steroids, but Jesus Christ is a good scene. Yeah, but to, to bulk up like that, you have to eat like 6,000 calories a day for like weeks and yeah, weeks yeah. and weeks. Oh, yeah, but dude, Christian Bale did the same thing. I mean, have you ever seen the. I haven't seen The Machinist. No, I haven't seen it. But I think Christian Bale. Oh, and both The Machinist and The Fighter. Oh, look at this. Christian I love Bale this. Was, probably, was probably 60 pounds lighter than he is for this part. You know? I read I read that uh, Hardy did like almost all of this. I love that line though. I'm sorry to say for the third time, but victory has defeated you. Victory you know? has defeated you. Oh, you know what? There's a little Austin Powers going on there too. Oh, look at that! That is unbelievable. There's a little uh, yeah, Doctor Evil. Yeah, Hardy can still move, man. Hardy puts on 80 pounds of muscle, and he can still whatever that was a 360 jumping uh, yeah. down punch. That was unbelievable. This is amazing. Best, fu- yeah, best, it's a great scene. Be- oh, it's just best hand to hand. Here's series. the hand to hand combat, like on steroids. Like the last movie, the hand to hand sucked. Yeah, and this one, it's just this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> to the uninitiated, aren't we, Bruce? Do- don't you hear the Doctor Evil thing going a little bit? And look at oh, dude, oh, I'm so happy we're talking. You, when we watch her together, we talked at length about how you've got Scarlett Johansson. But you don't see her, and yet, and yet, you still love her performance because of her voice. I think Hardy's got to get the same accolade right here, right now, because you don't see his pretty face. He does get to work with his body, but his face is gone, and you just hear his voice. And like the way he, de- I'm not going to try to imitate it; I couldn't do it justice. But the way he delivered those two lines, like, "But we aren't uninitiated, are we, Bruce?" Like it's just so good. 
anyway, I got carried away. It's a hell of a scene. Yeah, this scene's just great. Oh, so I was trying to say before my microphone almost killed my face. Um, <laughs> four ears. The they don't even try and make his voice sound live, which is a brilliant decision. The whole thing is like him as a narrator in terms of the sound quality where it's coming from. If you look, they don't spend much time trying to place it for wherever he's standing. Bane is equally loud, oh, no matter how far away you are from yeah, him. Yeah, that's clever. Oh, dude, I. Um, I'm pretty. Correct me if I'm wrong. You you made this nice point about the continuity between the waterfall of the Batcave and yep. the waterfall here. Yep. I don't know if this is the Batcave or dude. This they is they the, just dropped this. They just dropped all the fucking. Oh, sorry. You, no, you know what? I well, no. Because oh no, you're saying this is the, the factory. It, this is the Wayne. Yeah, Enterprises. I still think the symbolism is there for That's sure. True. That's yeah. true. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They're still fighting. This is great. Yeah. It's, I mean, dude, look. Uh, let me just say, Christopher Nolan picked Bane for a very specific reason, which I'm going to share with you all after Batman gets his back broken. Boom. PG-13 broke his back. Could have paralyzed him. Could have killed him. And his henchmen are like, yeah, this guy's this guy's a hell of a boss. <laughs> this guy is the boss boss. Yeah, there's the mask. That shot's amazing. It's like, it's half, like the half, half of the mask, and it's wet, and he just drops it, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. So, she, so she doesn't see his face, but he calls him Bruce multiple right, times. Exactly. She has to know. Of course, yeah, she knows. She definitely knows. I mean, she before when they're standing on the roof, her and Batman, she says to him, "Oh, Wayne wasn't kidding when he said he had a powerful friends." So you know, she was ready to have that thought. Yeah. Right, but but as I mentioned later, when <laughs> when they meet. She still, you know, says, "Oh, you're powerful friend, and not you." <laughs> you know, I mean, even though she knows it's him, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're but I mean, like it. that's just her being coy. Look at her in like... the hat. This is the thing about Anne Hathaway. You can dress her up in all sorts of outfits. She looks like Fontaine here, big time. Yeah, she's she does a great Look job here. Boom! Boom! <laughs> <laughs> that is a hell of a punch. Yeah, uh, that's, that was a variation on the pencil to the head, right? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. The, nothing beats the pencil of the head, no. man. That that like that's when you're like, okay, the Joker's for real. You, you, and, you and I were dying in the in the commentary. Yeah. The, the, like yeah. I, I like I said, man, when I was in the theaters and I saw that, everyone just went, oh shit, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's the uh, that in Creed. Spoiler alert! Wait, have you seen Creed? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's the Creed getting punched that in the eleventh round at the end of the movie with the blood. He actually went down for that. He he was knocked out in that shot for real. In uh, real life? Yeah. Uh huh. They told him You're it was kidding. coming. Nope. They told him it was coming. They're like, they're like well, to get the shot, you gotta get clocked. And he actually went unconscious for like a minute. Jesus Christ, that's unbelievable. I mean, I guess he he had trained for boxing, so he was he could handle it, but still. Yeah, but you can still die from something like that. Yeah, that's well, that's unbelievable. I I had no idea. That's so, nuts. So I I always forget not that uh, Gordon Levitt gets involved with Selena Kyle uh, in terms of investigation. But he sort of also is giving her a little bit of a shove in the quote unquote right direction. He or he's trying to for whatever reason. What do you, what do you mean? You, you know, uh, 
Joseph. Oh, you mean he's like he's like hitting on her? No, 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 no. Like, you know, getting her to think about what it would be like to be, you know, a normal person and not a crook or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, He could have done so much worse to her. Interesting. Um, In the same way that you know Bruce Wayne. Um, and look at Tom Hardy acting oh with his God, eyes only. I know, man. I, so I can't, I can't. It's unbelievable. He's just using his eyes. That mask, it's so practical looking. It's fantastic. Um, He's good, dude. Now, okay, a little film stuff. Yeah. This is a little on the on the nose here, a giant pet, a round pet. But, uh, that's Wait, is this true to the comic though? I, think I don't know. That's part of the comic. Yeah. I don't. I think it might be, man. I think I don't think Christopher Nolan made this up. I think Christopher Nolan might have put Batman in here, which is new. But I think that Bane did come from the pit. I don't know for sure, but I think that's true. Okay, we'll, we'll go back to the pit. But in terms anyway, of, go ahead. In terms of Bane's face mask, right? Look at it. He, he was definitely able to speak during the you know acting of these scenes. You need the other actors to be able to hear him, even if they can't see his lips, and even if right, they're, right, right, right. and they just do all the voice later. But it's not just that; it's that Tom Hardy knows he's going to have to do the exact voice replica later in studio, and so if you can do it here, even though they don't keep it, look at his eyes. Yeah, man. Oh my god! But you know it's what I'm incredible. saying? Like he well, had to really it, act I this out twice. Had to do it twice. No, yeah, yeah. but I actually, I, I, I bet you a guy like Tom Hardy welcomes that oh, because he's he probably is like I'm going to act my heart out with that mask on so that way my emotion's true when it's happening, and then I'll have a chance to make it even better when it's recorded over. You know what I mean? And this is the run in connection with Bane is that they're so so like serially one dimensional but so gripping you never want them to stop talking and being evil mm-hmm. you know what i mean and and that's it's all about performance that's the thing he's the yeah. least subtle character but in some ways these are the most fun because of the performance that's a great point man even though these guys have very simple motivations like save gotham destroy gotham you're still so compelled because they're acting the shit out. And this this sequence is unbelievable. They're like, "Oh, is she gonna be all right? I don't know if she's gonna be all right. We'll see if she. We'll see what happens." Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's gonna be fine. Like that's brilliant. Like that's just that's like a little five seconds of fun. Why not? Oh, here we go. Boom. It's interesting. There is oh, a look in his eyes of familiarity, right? What's that? There is. It's interesting because I think Hardy does a good job of, of capturing two feelings of like looking at Miranda Tate both as someone he loves and someone he has to pretend to hate. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they, I, I watched that closely when in my most recent watching, and they 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 play it perfectly. They they don't oversell it. They don't undersell it. You know, I mean, yeah, but there it's nice because Hardy, like, dude, Hardy, if you ask me, Hardy's eyes steal and voice steals the show. But I mean, in the uh, sorry, real quick back to the. God. Okay, first of all, as I mentioned in the in the um, Dark Knight podcast, I'm not always a big Carrie Oldman guy, but as Gordon in the movies is absolutely spectacular. Yeah. And, you know, he really fucks up the situation, but it's not his fault. Again, you know what I mean? Um, right. This is the one thing that saves Gordon Levitt. Um, but uh, what were we talking about before? I wanted to respond to your. Uh, Oh, here we, yeah. uh, we'll have some good time to talk during this stuff. Um, but with Bane, okay, so 
just real quick, we're about halfway through the movie. We got Bruce Wayne in the pit. This is like, you know, Batman Begins again mixed with the Iron Man uh, story in the first Iron Man movie, the origin story. There's some Jedi stuff going on, you know, some Vulcan stuff going on. You know, it's it's very well shot. And it actually lasts less long than I remembered in the original times I saw this. So while he's trying to fix his back, did you know Mr. Slavutin... That Christopher Nolan did not commit to a third movie for a couple of years after The Dark Knight. Oh, really? That's interesting. That's smart on his part because, like, it's it's actually there's a nice meta. Well, maybe it's too obvious and on the nose, but Nolan probably wanted to direct the second movie with the fear of not being hired for the third. You know, he wanted to direct the heart out, his heart out of his second movie and just make it perfect in and of itself. And then and only then, when he had you know finished it and two years later loved the shit out of it, still. Did he feel enough that he wanted to come back and do it again? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, he in wasn't... Other words, in other yeah. words, Batman's not scared of death and so he gets the shit beaten out of him. If no one knew he was guaranteed for third movie, he might not have made the second movie as good as it was. You know? Yeah. I mean, he openly said he was worried he was going to lose interest in the project. Yeah. Um, because, remember, Batman Be- Begins was only three years before this. So this is, you know, two Avengers-level comic book movies from a budget standpoint in three years. And Joss Whedon did it too in, in 2012 and 2015 with Avengers 1 and 2. And he, he was saying on the set or, or after the filming that he wasn't coming back for a third one as much as he loved it because of how exhausting it was. And yet, oh, yeah, and yet Nolan imagine. challenges himself to make it even bigger you know, and more expensive and more logistically difficult on himself. And I think it was Inception. He needed the Inception break in 2010. Even though I don't love that movie, a lot of people do. I Even, like it. I do like it. I see yeah. problems with it, but I like it a lot. Yeah, I, I wasn't really, really... It's a little... It. It's like... It's pretty. It's a pretty cool idea, but it's like taken so far that it becomes more complicated than it has to. And right. so it loses my interest at times, you know? Anyway, but not to get into... We're not watching that movie now. Right, but you know, it's, 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 uh. and it's only like you know, it's only dude. Look at this. We've watched an hour and a half of movie, and only now do you realize he did a thing in the opening scene to have this nuclear physicist yep. to get this thing going. It takes ninety minutes to get into the real story, like the real like good guy bad guy story, which is incredible. Do you remember I, I talked about in the the Dark Knight that one of the reasons I thought it was so great, all time great, was because. As complex as cer- certain threads were, the actual narrative was very linear and and flowed from one to the next so smoothly and, and with great suspense. This is, you know, as you just pointed out, this has a lot more of potential red herrings that come back much later. You probably well, forget. Um, I don't know which is better. I mean, I, Dark Knight's probably the better movie. It's nice to have the change. And Nolan was very specific <laughs> that he was going to change some stuff up. Um, if he came back for this one, indeed he did. Uh, they, the studio wanted, you're not going to believe this, they wanted Leo to play the Riddler in this movie. Oh, yeah? That was the original idea, but Nolan wanted um, Bane. And he wanted Bane for the exact reason you talked about before. I can't remember the words you said about the physics, sort of the physicality of Bane. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. M- Mr. Nolan uh, agrees with you. You know, he said... Uh, he said the Joker is an example of diabolical, chaotic anarchy with a devilish sense of humor. Perfect, whereas, well put. Yeah. Where it was Bane is likened to a classic movie monster with a terrific brain. Yes, perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. 
It's exactly right. And it's a good contrast because the Riddler would have been Joker all over again. And maybe that's the reason why Tom Hardy, you know, Tom Hardy isn't compared too much to Heath Ledger because they're such different characters. And actually, no one might have been protecting Hardy in a way because he knew that there was no way he could, like, anyone who came in and played the Riddler, which was, like, so easily compared to the Joker, would have been fucked. Because it's like, out of respect to Heath Ledger, you can never compare anyone to that part, you know? But then bringing in Tom Hardy is just like, like, just like you put it, like a classic movie monster with a terrific brain. Like, that's a different thing. It's a different beast. So the comparisons aren't as on the nose. Um, I don't think, yeah, no. I just wanted to, I wanted to give you a hell yeah on that point, you know, which is that the people I know who like both of these movies, I, I haven't heard a whole lot, oh, Heath Ledger is like so much better. Um, because people know Tom Hardy's great, and he keeps being great in tons of contexts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, actually, what what is another good movie by him recently? I can't put I can't put my finger. Well, on I right hated now. Mad Max Fury Road, but everyone I know. Oh, I lo- oh okay, that's perfect. Yeah. Oh shit! Did he play the main bad guy in that? Tom Hardy was the dude at the front of the the car man with the mask on, who then was like, the, he was Mad Max. He was he Max. was Mad Max. He's the main guy. He's the oh, I didn't yeah. Know. It was him and uh, Furiosa at the end once they freed him. That's awesome, man. That's cool. That's a great movie. That is it, a great it, movie. Uh, he also did one where he plays doubles. Holy shit! Himself. I didn't even think about that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That movie is spectacular. Okay, wait here. Oh, stop, stop. Because here we are. I, I teased this right, early. Sorry. Yeah. The mayor is going to see a football game while sending thousands of police into the sewers. You can't even mobilize that many police as quickly, even if you wanted to. Anything where you're going to be facing heavy weaponry or weapons of mass destruction, you should not have the police do under any circumstances. Mm, Yes and no, but do that in the special forces. Let's just really simplify it. Really simplify it. You are mayor. You get word of potential devilish plot in the heart of your sewers. You have a choice. You can either A, send in a ton of cops, or B, no. not send in a ton of cops. No, what no, do you no, do? No, no. You, That's, what, no, dude, that is the choice you, he's facing. No, what you do is okay, you, no, you call the governor and no, then have the I, governor call the president. Dude, I, I, but you, you can do that, but what that choice really means is not sending in a lot of cops right now. So let me rephrase. Send in a lot of cops right now or not send in a lot of cops right now. You are mayor. You've got you hear rumblings of terrible shit in your sewers. What do you do? For me, it's an easy choice. I send in a lot of cops right now. I call the mayor. I ask for national guard. I you know, or sorry, call the governor. Whatever. But you have no choice but to in that moment. Because think about it. How much shit did George Bush take when he stood there like a deer in headlights when he had heard about Katrina or nine eleven or whatever it was, and he was reading that book to those kids. This is Heinz Field, by the way, and these are Pittsburgh Steelers fans who volunteered. I think no they expense like, spared. Yeah, I think they got like Sorry tw- if I was 12, yelling just now. That's okay. The tequila's gotten the best of me. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, they got like 12,000 people in there. So the first whole first section. This is great. This is one of the, and that's the problem with Days of Future Past is the stadium thing with Magneto just isn't as cool as this. Okay, but dude, I mean... I was, we're, probably, we're, I was probably yelling for too long, but there was that beautiful contrast of the young boys singing the national anthem and Bane saying, that's a beautiful voice. <laughs> you know, it's like a perfect little shot. Anyway, sorry, you were going to say. Uh, you know, think of this uh, if this was truly a war zone. You say you have a thousand troops under your command and you've got intelligence that maybe, you know, some high-up terrorist in this huge compound... Okay, I hear what you're saying. Don't okay. send 900, send 500. 
right. Or we send fifty, whatever. Right. That's like a fine point. That's or, a fine point. Or send twenty and, and investigate more. You know what I mean? It's All like, right, but what if that's called scouting? If, but what if what if you don't know what it is exactly? Um, you you hear that there might be an underground army. You don't know what it is exactly. You know there's something terrible. It could be an individual who's insane. It could be an army who's insane. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you yeah. don't. Anyway, all right. Well, we'll just agree to disagree on that one. Well, but, we'll think dude, about how though, incredible is this sequence? This is brilliant. This because it's also like yeah. you actually realize rewatching the movie, they laid the groundwork. No pun intended for their like lacing concrete with explosives because they've got the concrete employees. You know what I mean? It's just so smart the way this whole thing set yeah. up. Yeah, it's absolutely. all believable. Like, when was the last time you saw a movie where they took a city hostage, and your biggest question was, they sent too many cops underground? You know what I mean? Like, they actually effectively take a city hostage. Like, that's that's good. That's a good story. I, I think they could have done better than having the three thousand uh, mice chase the cheese. I uh, dude, look. You know what? For all intents and purposes, I totally agree with you. But new question is. New question is, could you give a little kudos to the movie for the fact that that's your biggest criticism of taking a city hostage? Uh, it's, I, in terms of my enjoyment of it, ruins it not at all. Especially because they do the Gang of New York things later where you know, you've got all the cops and then all the bad guys and they shoot at each other, you know, point blank range and then eventually they just start brawling, you know, right, straight, right. straight out of Gangs bit, of New York. That was a little weak sauce, I'll admit Well, it. but uh, I'm saying if you, if you put these shots together, that's what we call setting up a shot or setting up an image, you know, of mobs of cops. Think about it. Who were the corrupt ones? among the so-called good guys in Dark Knight. The cops, right? The cops were the corrupt ones. Now, the people are the corrupt ones, and the cops have to save them at the end. That's and that's, nice. and that's, that's where the nice. conservative, you know, either support or critique could come from. Right? You got Joseph Gordon-Levitt constantly, you know, hitting badass territory, but he never gets to do anything. You know, Batman stops him from, what, killing someone at some point? I don't remember. I exactly. love that he's got the shotgun. But it's cool. It's kind of cooler in a way because, you know, the future Robin gets to be, you know, mostly brains rather than just like a guy who hits someone a few times. You know, because Gordon Levitt plays like an instrumental role of like moving the plot along because he's thinking. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he's a smart character, which I respect, which is a better. Uh, not too uh, smart. Uh, 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 I'm up. I'm up. Let's go. <laughs> Get my coat, buddy. <laughs> You're still an intern. Okay. The, the way, the way Tom Hardy holds the microphone thing yeah. during this speech is, is fantastic. Uh, uh, you know, like he being identify yourself because he can't show us part of his face. He has to use other methods to just really screw with people. So fucking good. Yeah, this guy looks like Mark Ruffalo a little bit. See, this is the reason they're the opening scene. Okay, stop. Well, hold on. This is here. It is. If you had called these people before, these people were looking at like the high government. If you called them before you stormed the sewers, maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Maybe that's the idea. That you, you know. All right, I will agree with you that there are too many people that storm the city sewers, but I won't agree with you because they should have waited. In other words, well, you know, I see what you're saying. No, no, that's cool. You're that's right. Cool. No, you're that's right. Cool. You're right. Uh, we, we got it. We got to cover it. Uh, yeah, we got, we got yeah, it. This one's yeah. done. <laughs> we can pick it up <laughs> offline, maybe. Well, kills but that, dude, that scene was incredible. That, that all, he's, Bane is good. He's, or like evil, but he's good at being evil. He's like, identify yourself. Good. Okay, that's you. Is there anyone else that can disarm this? No. Okay, good. I'm now going to kill you very publicly. He just like, he so efficiently sets this up. He's like, okay, everyone, you're all going to die unless you do exactly what I say. It's very, 
Very well done. I, I think what's great about this particular apocalypse situation is just the way they blow up the city from below. You never see that, you know? Yeah. It's always great, missiles or planes. Point. There's no planes flying over. There's no, like, well, guys and what's the great? Just, yeah. And, but, and, man, what's the great, great biblical image of a giant pet imploding and killing thousands? It's the worship of the golden calf, right? I mean, that's that's the imagery. Like... You know, Wait, I'm sorry, I don't follow that. Say in, that one more time, sorry. In Exodus, um, you know, and Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, he comes back, and you know, tens of thousands are praying to false idols, and God does not spare them, and he swallows them into the earth, mm. straight into hell, basically. That's interesting. It's um, very, yeah. And so, I've, you know, so like at the end of Return of the King and Lord of the Rings, the same thing happens, like the whole ground collapses and all the bad guys get sucked in. You know, very ancient image. And very effective here. Okay, so this was not filmed all in Chicago. We've talked about this before. Right. It's hard to piece it all together, but Newark... Well, that's Manhattan. That's the City Court building. That's the east side of Manhattan. That's 59th Street Bridge. Right. So that's for sure. The, the, the last major filming locations were New York and Newark, actually. Newark, New Jersey. Um, they spent, I think, at least a month or two in Newark. And they a lot of uh, exteriors... Um, in London and Glasgow, I mean, they—I think they shot it over a dozen places, maybe more, like That's completely cool. yeah, different well, places. This is definitely Manhattan. That's the 59th Street Bridge. Also, think about this, dude. 59th Street Bridge is right now closed for filming. We, and well, it also means they're doing it at sunrise because this lighting is like four or five a.m. on a summer day kind of lighting. So that's the only. But that's the two hundred thirty million dollar budget right there. This dialogue is also incredible. Like the army's like, come on, buddy, you're not going to stop us. And dude's like, no, 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 you're right. But if you don't stop them, I'm just going to destroy the city with a nuke. <laughs> so, uh, that's Major yeah, Bunny yeah. Colvin from The Wire that we just saw there in the, in the fatigue. Oh, that who that was? Oh, that's yep. great, man. I like that guy. Hamsterdam. There you go. Oh, that was – we could talk about The Wire for a while, but I don't think we'd be doing our job. Nope. <laughs> just, I just like pointing out Wire characters. In various, uh, Creed's got like nine. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> not abandon you right yeah that means you've abandoned us yep there's yeah there's what's great about this movie is there's obviously big brother stuff going on but there's big brother stuff going on from both sides at the same time you know it's like look at the you know so you you know you could have a movie like enemy of the state or whatever where it's just the government you know being evil big brother you know or it's the hunger games where you know the place is conquered and then you become slaves um, but you know, you're, this movie's implying that they're slaves either way. That it's just slightly preferable to be not under the League of Shadows because people are quite enthusiastic about it, and we can debate. Here we go, starting here. People are going to start being very enthusiastic. Uh, it comes from fear. I love this. Look how they filmed this. That looks like it's the the uh, courthouses around Center Street in Manhattan, but I'm not sure. Oh, here it is. I love this. Yeah, look, look at the color on this whole thing. Uh, but look at this. Like one fell swoop. You put your cops underground. Well, we won't debate that. You blow up all the bridges. You put a nuclear bomb into the heart of the city. And you tell every Gothamite that your hero is a fraud. Like that is just an elegant way to change the, change the way society works. I mean, it's just so efficient. Like, you know, you couldn't get a more efficient, like, I don't know if you want to put in like Tom Locke or uh, John Hobbs style, like return to the state of nature, then cut isolating an island, 
holding a nuclear weapon over its head and Hobbs telling everyone on the island that they everything they believe in is a lie. You know, like that's so elegant the way they did that. Hobbs is anti uh, that. He was opposed to Locke. I know what you're talking about, though. Hobbs thought that the real world is really nasty and people need to be controlled. Locke definitely believed in that. Yeah, almost like a libertarian. Yeah, there are a lot of differences between the two, but fundamentally there's the story that they try to tell is how do we go from individual man to societal man? And the, the answers they come up with are typically that men need some kind of organizing something to get things under control. And what do we see here? Well, here you're organizing some things. There's, you know, a monopoly over the legitimate use of force. I, Bane, now have that because I have a nuclear weapon. And I, Bane, have destroyed all the bridges so there's no one coming in. And I, Bane, have put everyone, all of your cops, underground. So there's no more force other than what I have. And then the other thing, the opiate of the masses, if you will, the belief in something, the religion, the, the you know, um, what am I trying to say? Harvey Dent, that's something that controls people. But hey, look, Gotham, I, Bane, tell you, you're Harvey Dent. He's gone. He's not a real thing. He's a lie. He's a fraud. God is not real. So therefore, what do we do? We return to state of nature. That's what I want because you should know everything here is bullshit. It's what the League of Shadow wants. This sequence is unbelievable now that i'm saying all this shit and going on and on and letting the tequila talk for me it is good they, they should have eased up on the douchiness with joseph gordon levitt a little bit i i, I that was a little unfair to put all of that onto the commissioner and what made that performance before so affecting for me is i'm kind of on his side you know i mean in retrospect it's easy to say it's a bad idea but as you pointed out um you know when when uh, uh harvey was still a, a, a da you know, he would get, you know, lower his number of cases that he won in order to get a lot more people behind bars, essentially, right? Like, um, you know, and have clean streets for two years. Here it's clean streets for seven years. To the ends justify the means. The real question is, they don't address how many people of the 1,500 or whatever with uh, Harvey Dent Act were not guilty. You have to imagine right, at least it, 20%. You know, what, you know what I think Bain would say? You got and for, well, first of all, Bain, what Bain would say, he'd probably say this: "Stop wasting my time." But if you force him to speak more, he'd probably say, "You got to break a few eggs to make an omelet." And the omelet here is actually what the League of Shadows wanted, which was to not let a society thrive on lies and arrogance and believe that the construction of good and evil that they've created is correct. And that is a function that is historically important. So I don't care if I have to burn down Rome or burn down Gotham. We, League of Shadows, are going to rebalance things when things get too nasty. So yeah, a lot of people that were imprisoned on the Den Act, they should not have been imprisoned. But Bane would say everything I just said, but probably kill you before finishing saying it. Can I, um, uh, can, can <laughs> I, can I make a, a, a sociological observation? Absolutely. Here we go, hold on. This great city... Well, Lenore. <laughs> <laughs> you put so much heart into it, you don't even see his face. Uh, um, but that's exactly the point he's making, right? It will endure. Like, I'm destroying it, but I'm. it's going to endure. Like, yeah. for a reason, man. For so a reason. The notion of, you know, a government falling you know, anarchy to break out. It wouldn't happen in like five minutes, you know? Like even in the worst case scenario, 
people would try and hold things together for at least a couple of days. I guess they had to just do a time jump with this movie. Right, you right, couldn't no, just you, spend time absolutely slow like, burn you, of, right, of right, right. uprising. No, you're, you're, to- you're totally right. Like it's not going to turn from you know that calamitous moment where bridges are blown up and all that shit into penthouses getting robbed in 24 hours. You're right. Okay, here it is. Here's here's the it's the story. And the reason I don't mind the misdirect with this kid is because it's so tough to cast a, a child who's not even that young who could be a boy or a girl. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, no, but, that that but, is definitely true. But the, but the fact that Bane was the protector without needing to know why he was just protecting the right. child, like that triple misdirect of you think it's Bane that's the child, yeah. and then you think Miranda Tate's fine. You just get both of them getting turned around. And what's great is. We we don't find out that sympathy that we get towards Bane until almost his death, right? It's like you hate him the whole movie, and then you see that he actually loves this girl and saved her, but he still got to go, so we kill him. I love that, you know. I think that, no, there's there's a lot. It's very elegant. It's just very well done. It is elegant. That's a great it's, word, man. I never thought to use that. It's it's it is. Yeah, Just, I mean, the, like the, Anne Hathaway is elegant. She's sort of, yeah, sort of well, I, I, ballet. I appreciate the appreciation. I wouldn't throw Anne Hathaway into the mix quite here. I'm going to say Anne Hathaway gave a great performance, but the elegance here is totally cerebral and totally about story symmetry and surprises that oh, that's are what believable I meant. and surprising. I didn't mean her in particular. I'm just saying the way they structure her story. Right. Oh, yes. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Like her story is elegant. Like the League of Shadows coming back and it's just brought in so nicely and and cleanly. It's just a great movie. So uh, and then this whole story, this whole story of him going up like you've got to have fear to survive. And they actually literally prove it because it's only when he has the fear of dying that he makes the jump, you know, Yep. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a little bit on the nose that we're saying it, but no. like the fact is the story is so well told that you don't have an experience of, oh, that's on the nose. Like no. only when you deeply unpack it, like I like to think we're doing now. No, dude, this <laughs> um, is exactly where I want to go. Exactly where I want to go, which is when you talk about, you know, martial arts or just like meditative movements of any kind, fear is the central argument. Some think that you need fear absolutely to reach higher states, both literally and figuratively, and others think that you need to get rid of it, um, like the Jedi or some schools of Buddhism or uh, you know the, the the Vulcans, you know, and Spock and so forth. Uh, personally, I'm in the former category of believing you do need fear, and so agree, I, agree. I, I agree with the decision about how this how this well, goes. It, well, d- I, I I agree. That if you want to do more than you naturally would, you need fear. But if you just want to do what you naturally would, you don't necessarily need it. So let me give an example that's very personal, which is that day-to-day at my law firm, I work with you know some very brilliant people that are my bosses, and I find that I work harder when I'm a little bit scared of them. Um, that's and that's no, that's no character fault on their part. That's actually a brilliant decision on their part because they know – they can probably tell with a, with me that if I'm not a little scared under my ass, I'm not going to put in that extra 9%. You know what I mean? Now, the question is, do you walk into the law firm in the first place? I walked into a law firm because I wanted to get a little push. You know, I didn't want to, you know, have 
Great a life within my natural bounds. So if the answer, the following question is yes, then fear is good. And the question is, do you want to push yourself beyond what you would otherwise do? Look here, right here. Yeah. This is a, he, he's recovered way faster than he should. Well, no, dude, I think a few months have elapsed. Bane no, puts no, no, a six-month no. timeline on it. I, I mean, I mean, him putting his mind to healing, I, I think, was effective, you know. Oh, and I also think it's interesting because it's interesting because Bane actually kills himself Look by giving Bruce her. Wayne a TV. Yeah. Because what does Bane do? He said, hey, man, I, I broke your body, and now I want you to see me break Gotham so I can break your spirit. But all he really does is give Wayne motivation and fear. The only thing actually cares about is the death of Gotham. So once he becomes scared of the death of Gotham, that's when he becomes motivated to act beyond his natural means. His natural means were to die. He was going to let himself die. But once Gotham starts dying, he can't do that anymore. Anyway, this movie's awesome. So this is the best Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff. And this is part of why you have to get rid of all the cops. Part of the reason to get rid of all the cops is so that Bane's relatively small first uh, force, at first at least, could handle the city without too much intervention, right? So that's part of it. The other one, though, is to make JGL an, an integral part to the good guys coming back and winning at the end. He's the only one that's free that they don't know about that has any agency. I don't think he's ever found out by Bane, uh, or at least gets out of it. This is straight out of, uh, is it The Machinist? Maybe it was. I did see The Machinist. What was it? I didn't see the machine. Okay, right here. That's such like karate kid I stuff. I tend to think there are a lot of shots of right dudes here. doing push-ups. <laughs> that's, that's, that was a kid. Going out on a limb. <laughs> I think that was a kid. Like a lot a, of workout shots in yeah. movies. You could also say this is straight out of Rocky, Rocky. 6. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know, no the pull-up. Like, positioning the the image with like, on the pull-up bar. I like, what you're saying. Like the frame on. and like the way they – okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I also love this Channing, man. I don't know what the fuck they're saying, but it is just great. And they never tell you. No, well, no all I was saying was I like that they just to get to the training, boom, 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 and then he's up here, which is where he needs to be. Um, and then the the kind of blind guy sitting there just listening and just letting himself like. I, there's shades of Neo's first jump on this one, right? Oh, remind uh, me again. I think you're right, but remind me. What's the um? What's so, the Neo jump again? Okay, so when Neo fights Morpheus for the first time in the dojo, and Neo almost beats Morpheus, and Morpheus is just like, I need, you need to free your mind, and then they end up on the top of the apartment buildings, and Morpheus jumps, you know, like 3,000 feet or something to the next right, building. Right, right, right. And, 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 and Keanu Reeves is just going, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind. <laughs> right, and he jumps with such enthusiasm and just falls right. immediately. Like, just That's goes straight down. Yeah. That's a great call right there. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Look at the it's kid. funny because the second you start saying free your mind, free your mind, you're <laughs> fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What does free your mind really mean? I mean, as far as I can tell... As far as I can tell, there was a long phase in my life where I used my mind at every single moment of every single day. And more recently, there's been a phase in my life where I'm using my mind less. And life is actually more enjoyable. Oh, absolutely. And I think, and I think it's because what freeing your mind really means is being solely intuition-based. You know, it's like, and to get really, you know, white man on it, it's the difference between golf and tennis. It's like in golf, you got to bring your swing to the ball and everything is with you and you've got to just make everything happen. And in tennis, you got to let the ball come to you and react to the ball and sort of let yourself be intuitive, right? You with me so far or am I being too ridiculous? No, no, you're, you're totally right on. You're totally cool, right man. On. So yeah, I mean, I think the difference between, 
you know, Morpheus for your mind and Neo for your mind is Morpheus isn't doing any thinking at all. No, see, he's doing yeah. no thinking at all. And and, right. and Neo is standing there being like, okay, I'm going to free my mind now. Mind, please be free for your mind. Like the second you start doing that, it's no longer intuitive and it's gone. The magic's gone. You can't hit the tennis ball anymore, you know? Yeah, anyway. I mean, no, for sure. I mean, it depends how you define thinking, um, but I, I get your meaning. Um, you know, for me, free your mind is like freeing a mind is like a general place you want to be, but there's a lot of other stuff in between that. Exactly. And that's, that's what, a, that's a great point, man. And, that's a great that, point. But that's what you were saying. You, whenever you're saying free your minds, you, you already have a problem because you're not thinking of all the other steps in between because you haven't learned them yet. Right. That's the right, whole, right. or, whole, or more. Well, I think you're right to say depends on how you define thinking, but I think let me put it differently. It's the difference between proactive and being reactive. You know, like if you're being proactive, it means you're making some choice. If you're being reactive, you're really freeing your you're freeing yourself to just let things happen. And Morpheus jumps, knowing that once he is jumping, everything else will work out. And Neo goes into the jump, trying to make the perfect jump. And I think that's the difference, proactive versus reactive. Golf, you're standing there, you try to swing and hit the ball. You try to hit the ball. You're trying. There is a try. There is no spoon, whatever. Tennis, you wait for the ball to come to you, and you got to just react wherever you are, and you're fluid and dynamic. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. I I hate you. No, (laughs) no. Sorry. Proactive, reactive, I think, is the way to look at it. Yeah. If you're yeah. too proactive at every moment in your life, your life can be miserable because there's too much going on to be proactive about. But if you hang back and let yourself be reactive and just do whatever seems to pop up for you intuitively in that moment, life is better. Anyway, I don't know how we got here, but... Yeah, that's, that's okay. That's something I'm glad we're talking we, we about. Got, we got some uh, Navy SEALs going on here, whatever, who get, <laughs> who get uh, Speaking done of, dirty. as my... This is my friend Gabriel says, done dirty. Done real dirty. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the the hilarious part about the Matrix that no one ever thinks about is that, so like, think of the force, uh-oh, oh wow, they really go right at him, I forgot that. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a religious or, or philosophical context, there, there's so much, so much going on. Morgan, does he die? I I, I saw no, this recently. No. I can't Morgan, remember. Morgan Freeman has never yeah. died in a movie unless he then became God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the rule. Of, Morgan Freeman's contract for all movies says you cannot kill him unless you make him God after you kill him. <laughs> okay, so they always shoot right up onto uh, Bane's face from I'm very low angles. Captain, yeah, this is brilliant. He straggles him with his thigh. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking good. He's trying this to get his, a Navy SEAL. He's trying to get his cell phone out while his thigh's on him. <laughs> you know, I got to say, though, this might be the weakest piece of the movie because, like, this is that piece – this is that, like, interim piece of the movie where, like, okay, Bane's taken over. We now just have to see what this world looks like. And, like, all right, fine. We got to see what it looks like. But to be honest, I kind of don't give a fuck, like right like you know it's gonna be bad you show every aspect of its badness but and i, I think it's it more efficiently but i don't know it's more for intercutting um these scenes actually that's a great point he needs motivation so it needs to get worse and worse that's the reason that's actually the a great TV, point that's the reason the tv's there yeah you know, that's um, a great point. the whole movie's just about bruce wayne's journey it's so, really the actual movie, yeah yeah so i um 
uh, I, I did a commentary for Thor a while ago. I never released it, the first Thor movie, which I've come to love over the years. But uh, you Is know, that I, the one where he like lands on Earth and has to find his hammer? Yeah. Yeah, he's lost his powers. He can't pick yeah, up the yeah, hammer. Yeah, yeah, that movie's it, actually not bad, and it has fucking Natalie Portman in there out of nowhere. Well, you know, him Hemsworth plus Natalie plus uh, um, Kat Dennings and Skeleton Skarsgård are hilarious through like the middle hour of that movie. It's just pure comedy as Thor tries to you know learn how to act like a human, still thinking he's a god, and everyone making fun of the fact that it's happening. It's not a self-referential step, but it's you know it's in that direction. But. Um, you know, I talked about in that movie that like the special effects, fantasy, weird sci-fi stuff was the least interesting part of that movie. You know, the, the drama and comedy and character stuff in the middle was the best. And I think yeah. this is this is another example, at least in this group of extended scenes, where you think these are the scenes that we are quote unquote earning in order for like the Bane stuff, but it's really the other way around. That's a great point, man. Yeah. So you know, that's actually a great point, dude. Because you're right, actually. If I actually think about, if I think about those. Uh, scenes of Gotham with Bane in charge as in and of themselves, I'm like, okay, I don't care. But if I think them about, about them as like, okay, what do they mean for Wayne and his character development? They're, they couldn't be more important. And you're totally right, man. You're totally right. Because that, that's, dude, that's the difference between a shit action movie and a great action movie is whether or not there's a character arc that you care about. You yeah. know? And I think Bane yeah. has one too, though you don't realize it till later on your first watching, you know? Um, that was the other thing I read, uh, you know, was that no one really wanted to stress the physicality of the bad guy in this one after having two basically intellectual bad guys, right, in the first two movies. I mean, one's actually a doctor, um, and the Joker's just the smartest guy in the city, as you pointed out. That's a nice point, yeah. They wanted a real physical, uh, physical presence, which is why another reason we need to have scenes of uh, it's another reason we need to have scenes of Bane beating the shit out of other people besides Batman. Just to be reminded that he is a physical presence, yeah. and that he will kill anyone. And like, meanwhile, and meanwhile, you actually, meanwhile, you actually have this maybe the smartest bad guy of them all, Miranda Tate, doing nothing the whole movie that looks evil. You know, like in other words, I'm totally agreeing with you, man. In other words, like yeah, Joker and Liam Neeson, you know, like both of them were heady guys who were evil in a secretive but obvious way. And, like, here you've got just straight brawn. Like, you know he's a smart guy, but he's just a fucking monster. And Miranda takes the real super brain, and then you discover that she's the real super brain this whole time. And you're like, holy shit, there's been a super brain this whole time. Anyway. Yeah, and Bane putting the whole thing on himself and not on Miranda is, you know, what he was doing when she was a kid. That's, yeah. He, Again, been, I think yeah. elegant's a good word here. Yeah. yeah. And like it's this true. Channing right now, tell me the first time you, or the first couple times you saw this, you didn't get goosebumps. Dude, I'm getting goosebumps Channing... now. <laughs> Dude, if I wasn't drunk, I'd be getting goosebumps. What? <laughs> they don't show it to us. Yeah, oh, you, you see some Christ, of it. That's a good scene. Uh, they really resisted the urge to do like a 90 degree shot to the back to make it seem like very far. I, I, I again, elegant. I respect its restraint. Look at that beautiful. Yeah, uh, castle. It's restrained as well, put man. That's exactly right. I love that. Where yeah, are we? But where is this shot? Okay, I love so, where that was. Okay, this is. Where was that castle? Okay, I mean, no, no, no. Hold on, hold on. This is in. Looks like Morocco. Uh, India. I India. think it's, it's like northern India. Yeah, the Jodhpur. <clears throat> yep, Marang for, uh, Fort. Uh, Interesting. May 2011. I love that they have this fancy chair here. That's <laughs> so funny. I love who the judge is. I was yeah, dying. Yeah, yeah. I c- this was the best case, cameo Silly ever. Murphy, yeah, the, the scarecrow is back again. He is the... so great. Look at him. <laughs> like, yeah. Here I am. I'll turn the volume up a little bit here. 
Oh my god. <laughs> His delivery is is just a joy. What's so great about it is it's it's brilliant because they're right now delivering the theme like on the nose. But because they're doing it by Cillian Murphy, like tongue in cheek, it doesn't annoy you. You know what I mean? Living off of the blood and sweat of people less powerful than him. Like this movie feels the most like a comic book movie of the Batman movies to me. The, you know, this man, the cult toy, like that kind of portrayal right there. You would definitely see in like a good dark Batman comic book. You know, yeah, that, that portrayal of um, of Doctor Crane, oh, Dagger. <laughs> yeah, right. And the next time he's like. Death by exile, right? Or right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I use death. Okay, death by exile. Okay, so here, here <laughs> good boom. night. So here's the PG thirteen. I'm happy that guy died. Maybe you can answer this because Matt and I talked a lot about this on the Deadpool podcast. They're killing tons of good guys in this movie. In the Avengers, you can't even sniff more than a couple civilian deaths, and yet they're both rated PG thirteen. I don't understand how that works. I think it's about the gore. I don't know what the rules are. It is about the gore, which is absurd. That that's I the criteria. Well, no, I don't. I disagree. I think for a thirteen-year-old child, they don't understand death as well until you show the gore. Right. So you want to lie and show them people bloodlessly dying, as opposed to what death actually looks like with violence, which has blood. I think it's actually harmful to kids not to see blood if they're going to see the violence. That's an interesting point. Okay. Here's this is the boats moment here, right? This is the boats. This guy right here. He's, this guy. He, he's like Dude. the two boats from the Dark Knight. This whole moral struggle going on in his head is, just, you know, that, that's that's just the narrative equivalent for me of feeling a little unknown. Like, why you really need this guy? He's not even a good leader. No, I agree. The, this whole this whole exchange doesn't matter enough. Like, they've already accomplished this. Like, I, I think they could probably cut out this whole scene, and they could cut out this whole guy. Like. We don't we don't need this, right? Because at the end of the day, what are we really talking about? We're talking about like Gordon wants to fight. We know that about Gordon. Right. You know, and we've already got the feel good turnaround story with Anne Hathaway. Like we don't this is this is I think Nolan being like, Well, I had four hours of footage and I made it down to two hours and forty and I can't bear to cut any more. And he just couldn't bear to cut this stuff. But he could have. I think he could have. I think you know I- <laughs> Like, we don't need to be told that every... Uh, okay, this is the real reason why this is happening. Yeah. Look at her. What a beauty. He was in Inception, too, obviously. Leah's former wife in Inception. Wait, wait, what, what? Who, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marion Cotard. She's great. Yeah, she, I bet you she was cast here because of how well she did in Inception. But she stole a stone in Inception, anyway. So the fact that, you know, people would immediately descend voluntarily into chaos and decay and stealing from one another and so forth... You know, have to assume some time lapse, but it sure sets up Hathaway's, uh, or I should say the, the, the beginning of Selena Kyle's uh, movement back towards the light that's going to be forwarded here in a second with Bruce Wayne, you know, that she would be so horrified by this world, even as being a thief, right? I mean, that's kind of important. Yeah, I think you're totally right. It accelerates it. I think, But I also don't think it's... Like, she, okay. she resents rich people, but she doesn't want them to be killed and stuff like Perfect. that. Perfect. Right. Exactly. Like... I also don't think it's that unbelievable that over the course of a few months you have the streets becoming utter mayhem because if you think about it, if you're someone who doesn't doesn't like mayhem and all of a sudden Bane's running the show and you realize that's the case, you're not going outside anymore. You know what I mean? 
Like, you're just not going to go outside. And this is what I realized, and I think they could have stressed more with the filming, and this is why we get to see the police lieutenant in his home, or one of the reasons is we have to assume that as big as the mob is, it's not even 50% of the population. Because you don't need that many people to scare no, the rest. Absolutely not. You know, no, it's probably no. like 10 to 20%, which is still At a ton. Most. So, you know, they maybe could have sold people, you know, barricading up their homes and so forth. Um, but, you know, again, it's a smart film, and you just fill in the blanks. You don't have to see everything. Yes, perfect. And, yeah, and, again, like- and again, the mob is... the the. Uh, Opposing Bob's doing the Gangs of New York thing coming up in like 10 minutes or so is so great. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, she's so lovely. I believe we mentioned in Dark Knight, man, right? That we that Miranda plus uh, Selena much more interesting than the Rachels. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, and, and I'm glad you bring it up because the thing with Rachel I thought is... you were going to say no for a second. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you, you know that's my... I am a lawyer. I like to start with no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, um, Ra- like, Rachel is a fundamentally boring storyline. Because it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, you guys are very familiar with each other. You've loved each other for life. Like, it's uninteresting in that things are already resolved in terms of you loving each other, Right. Miranda and, you know, Anne Hathaway are both new and, like, exciting. You don't really know what's going on. They're new flames. Like, that's, like, in terms of movies, that's always going to be, like, a more immediately captivating kind of thing. Killing it, Murphy. Death Killing it. (laughs) (laughs) He's so so great. Because you know Killing Murphy showed up for, like, what? Was it Killing or It's Killing? You know Killing Murphy showed up for, like, probably one day of filming and got, like, $800,000. Dude was like, "This is a good deal. I'll do this one." I, I, he would have done it for way less. Maybe they paid him that much. Do you think he got? Eight, I bet you he got hundreds of thousands of dollars for a day of filming. Well, it was just probably a one-time fee for a day, for one day or two right, days. Right, right. I mean, yeah, like they were yeah. like, "Hey, man, we need you for this one scene." Definitely mid yeah. to high six figures. Yes. Yeah, 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 and like, how sweet is that, man? Right. Okay. But he earned it. Man. He Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This one. is something else that bothers me. You have the three most important people in the city just sitting here. Like, why aren't these people locked up? Why are they still alive? Why is Bruce Wayne showing himself? You know, like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it, it, it puts the lie to the Big Brother stuff a little bit. Um, they go low-tech here. This is the other thing I wanted to ask you about, man. So, you know, the whole burning down the forest protocol in the Dark Knight with the digital uh, tapping into all the cell phones and so forth and, you know, and... Uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, this Catwoman costume is ridiculously good. Um <laughs> But they don't go very digital in this movie. It, they're eyeballing stuff. They're going truck to truck. They're putting chalk on things. They've got t- tail details. I mean, this feels like more like an old, you know, hard-boiled detective story feel. And they're doing that yeah. on purpose. Jessica Jones taps into a somewhat similar vibe uh, in terms of the era, um, sort of 40s, 50s. Got some nice pan around shots, courtesy of the two hundred fifty million dollar budget, two thirty, whatever it is. What time are you at? Uh, right now, I'm at um, him saying, even without the autopilot. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It was nice that they brought the autopilot back just now for a second because it's a good reminder because obviously it's an important plot device. Yeah. 
And they did it so casually, too. Like, you don't even notice it. They did it, though. Talk about getting chills coming up here in two seconds. Yeah. Yeah, this is the one. This you is legitimately the, think Gordon's going to die, too, which is, <laughs> which is credit to Nolan because, because, holy fuck, Gordon dying, that would be a thing. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the most active secondary character of all time. That's probably true. It just never stops doing stuff. Oh, man, these guys. This you really great. think Gordon's going to die. It's brilliant, too, because... They could have chosen anything, but like death by walking on an ice is such a good way to have like twenty oh. seconds of extra suspense. Oh shit! Holy shit! <laughs> That's the other thing is it's like, you know, no one does the typical stuff. Like he does the typical what every good director does, which is like create extra suspense, like at critical moments. Like right now, this whole time we're worried that Gordon's going to die, right? But he creates it in such a way that it's your feeling of suspense is totally there and your feeling of nerves is totally there and it keeps going without you doubting the movie because they've already established, you know, like the rules of the road here where it's like the ice is there, they walk on the ice and boom, Batman is back. And you're like, thank God, thank God. Yeah, I mean, in some ways this movie is almost a classic self-contained Batman movie. You, you, You know... I mean, How is he so confident on the ice, by the way? I guess it's from the first movie. Like, he did a lot of ice fighting in the first movie. He knows right. his ice. But, like, how the fuck did he do that? You know what I mean? Right? Yeah. It's true. It's true. Oh, uh, you know what? Actually, I bet you that was the thing. I bet you Christopher Nolan was like, yeah. you know what? Actually, it's fine for him to walk on the ice because the whole first movie was about ice walking. <laughs> <laughs> like, Instead of water ice. walking, yeah. Keep her close. All right, here Impossible. we go. Keep her close. Come for her. You're good, man. You nailed it, dude. <laughs> you should hear my pretty Ricky Conlan um, from uh, Creed. Oh man, dude. Well, I no one am... cares about Balboa anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh... that's what happens when you spend eight eight hours a week with yourself on the microphone. <laughs> Tell me about it. I have no idea what it's like. <laughs> uh, I like this. He is scared. You know? also think that Gordon Levitt's going to die. Uh, so, okay. So, Pretty I mentioned cool, this in Dark Knight. Give you every, every possible yeah. good guy that you don't want to die, you have a moment where you think he's going to die, and it's believable. That's good, man. I mean, it's not easy to do that. And that's the thing with DC movies. Now, sorry to sidetrack, but this is important. In DC movies, who are your good guys? You have the superhero, but you've also got the Gordon Levitts, and you've got the Commissioner Gordon. Shit, that Gordon thing is annoying. You got both of those guys, and they're regular guys, right? So they can die easily, but and you care about their death. In in Marvel movies, sure, you've got the girlfriends and whatever, and they can die, and you get worried about them. But it's a little different. It's a little different when your hero can die easily because they're a regular guy, and that I think that I think is actually important. That's something that DC does more than Marvel, I think. No, you you're think? right. You're, you're absolutely right that there's more prominent there's more human regular characters. regular good guys, you know? Yeah, there's more prominent human characters in DC, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Spider-Man uh, has, a, you know, Spider-Man mostly exists in his own universe. I mean, we're going to see him with the Avengers, and he joins the Avengers at times in the comic book, but most Spider-Man comics are just him and a bunch of people, which is why he needs to disguise himself, right, just like Batman. Who are the other good guys, though? I mean, it's not J. Jonah Jameson. That guy's an asshole, and it's not his girlfriends. Like, his girlfriends, you don't want them to die, but they're not a proactive good guy, right? Yep. 
but like they just like, they want to be around people. You know, that's one thing I took away from Man of Steel. As many problems that movie had, um, you know, it was uh, Clark Kent really we're about to get a great oh my Clark god, shot. yeah. <laughs> <sighs> they they knew how to know it's coming. <laughs> oh man, oh, look at this, dude. You know, Anne Hathaway went to Vassar with some of my friends. Yeah, I've heard some stories about her actually. Maybe you have we as well. Probably can't do it on the podcast. No, nope, not even look, not it. Yeah, doesn't matter. I love her. <laughs> I think she's a, a little lush, but who wasn't in college? <laughs> I mean, come right. on. If, if you think There's people are getting drunk, that. sorry, Bezelcast listeners, put your hands over your ears. Well, it's she delivers that line so well because you know she's feeling two things at once. She this she is. Like top three best female superhero deliveries ever, dude. Okay, it's official. She's better than Pfeiffer. It's official. I mean, dude, you win. She's... You, win. you win this battle, but you haven't won the war. <laughs> if she had more movies, she could take out Black Widow. I think. Wait, who's Black Widow? I love From Black Widow. Scarlet. Movies? Scarlet. Natasha. Oh uh, well, dude. Oh, come on. Now, now. Oh, just when I was giving you credit. <laughs> no, um, I'm not saying she's there. On. Like, I Scar- love like, me Scarlet. You know I love Scarlet. I know. But, all right. So I'll just chalk that up to like irrational Scarlet love. Like that's fine. Anyway, no, it has, Hathaway it, kills it. Hathaway just killed it. For no, me. there there is a rational reason for it actually, which is that Black Go Widow on. always is existing within the bigger. Like, group. all right, this guy walking to the front. I don't give right. a fuck. Like they could have cut this whole shit out. This like, is they so. Like, all that matters is you got the masses. You don't need to have uh, this guy walking to the front. But I guess no one was getting ambitious. They were like, okay, let's make it not just masses. Let's also make a little bit of a sob story here. This is so gangs in New York. The tanks actually look goofy with the camouflage. I don't mind that. No, right. Right. Those tanks like, okay. are still badass. Then. So they have guns. Everyone's just going to walk at each other with guns. I mean, this is even more, <laughs> just, you know. just open fire. It, it, well, no, the, Bane, Bane likes to enjoy uh, moments, man. He likes to enjoy moments. I'm talking about the cops. No. Oh, right. well, oh no, the idea no, no, is they're no, going to no, go peacefully no. until the, the cops the, don't the... open fire because they're out. They're outgunned, right? The cops are hoping it's not a gunfight. Bane chooses to not make it a gunfight because he finds it more entertaining. Bane could right now go ahead and say, "Kill them all." Now he, he just, does. Yeah, he just said open fire. I think he wants to kill them all. Right, right, right. But he gave it a second. He wanted to feel it for a second. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> oh shit! Oh that, shit! That's like, uh, uh, yeah. That's like Cap in Germany in the first Avengers jumping in front of Loki's blast with the shields. <laughs> gotta love the last minute superhero. Uh. Someone needed to tell Gordon that no one parts their hair in the middle anymore, but anyway. That was the Hathaway butt shot, by the way. That Hathaway butt shot is comparable to Catherine Zeta-Jones in a Sean Connery <laughs> movie going over and under the lasers. And that's that's something for not on the podcast, but you need to think about that at some point. Okay, they're massacring cops here, literally mowing down cops. Even in The Winter Soldier, we don't see this much cop killing. Right. Well, if you're going back to your PG-13 idea, again, it's just about carnage. It's not about death. Now they're brawling. Um... Right, but again, man, it's just about whether you see like a gunshot with a head blown out versus you just know that bad things are happening. <laughs> the costume is always going to be goofy. I don't care what All anyone right. says. Now you get fucking Batman getting his revenge, and you want it. You want it for him because you're like, you can't believe your hero's fallen, and you're like Damn. excited for him to get in there and just fucking punch his face. All right, boy. 
came back to die with your city. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I came back to stop you. Boom. Mm. I mean, yeah, the two fight scenes with them are, are all-time great comic book fight yeah. scenes. This is good stuff. And you tape me while you're like, <sighs> oh, I'm worried about her. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit. She's always a morally ambiguous character because she's so brilliant. That's and, a great point. Because Inception, Inception, in Inception, we only see how she's remembered by Leo, right? I mean, right. In, yeah, yeah. Who ends up being the trigger man, Miranda? I'm yeah. going to go out on a limb. I'm going to throw an idea out there, even though I haven't thought it through. Sure. Nolan did this movie to give Tate another role, to give Marianne another role, because he loved her role so much in Inception. I mean, she's one of those also stars in like um, award-winning indie movies. At the same time, it's big. Like she's considered one of the best, as far as I can tell, out there in terms of the number and quality of movies she does. She does movies in in French, like small French movies. Um, she's brilliant, brilliant. And you know, Gordon Levitt was an in Inception. You know, they wanted to have Leo in this one. You know, directors. It's yeah, like David, I got, yeah, David I O. Russell right. thing. I think it's I think it's real simple. I think he finished the second Batman movie and probably like the Avengers director, he was tired. Oh god. He did it he did Inception and he was like reinvigorated oh. and was like oh. as long as I take a few of my oh. guys from Inception onto this movie, I'll be fine. And he did that. That's what he did. Yeah, the and Gordon Levitt stuff good, coming man. up, I'm not gonna be happy about. I'll try and limit my disgust at the writing decision because this is amazing. This is so good. Man. You were right with the Braveheart example, by the way. With what? With what? The Braveheart example of having you know a thousand people brawl and spend the whole time watching the two most important people. Right. right, right. Oh, yeah. And like, if you look carefully in the background, sometimes it looks terrible. <laughs> but like, you shouldn't look carefully in the background. Well, that's why they're shooting so close up. They don't have to have right, everyone. Right. Oh, uh, it's you that hard, baby. Oh uh, shit! Uh, the spring came. I like that. What's looks... What's kind of badass though is like at the moment he loses his special juice. He actually starts fighting even harder because actually he now has fear, and that's the point. He was not scared until this moment, oh, so he starts no, hitting as no. hard as he possibly can, breaking columns as hard as he can possibly go. But sorry, Wayne, dude, Wayne's a special, special guy, man. He's gonna beat you even better. Is is he? Because, a his, because his, you know what? It, you know what it actually comes down to, man. Mm. You ready for this? Mm. You ready for this? It comes down to the depth of the character's pain. Wayne's pain is his parents being killed. Bane's pain is like being in jail, as far as we know, and trying to save a girl. Like, that's not as deep. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about men. We're talking about men who are motivated. And like Bruce Wayne, for 30 years, has had deep anger and pain about his parents being killed. Bane's pain isn't as deep, so Wayne will beat him. You agree? It kind of makes sense, right? Can I parlay this into a question that I've been wanting to ask since the beginning? I'm ready. Um, it's about the League of Shadows. You know, the first movie in the third movie, all League of Shadows. They barely mention it in the second movie at all. As you point out, Christopher Nolan wanted the Dark Knight to stand alone as well as together. I broke you. You know, how do we feel about the League of Shadows? Did did they need that thread running throughout? Um, I'm not against it. It's interesting to think about, like, because like Bane is basically her father, right? She's forsworn uh, Roz, child of Roz. How cool! Yeah, here it comes. Oh, that's what we call a heel turn, people. <laughs> if you're into wrestling, sorry, did I miss your question in the midst of this ex- amazing exchange? What's the question?
So here we are at the final battle. We got them using Batman's weapons against him. Luckily, he's got the bat. I love how they have Gordon running around like a beat cop. Great. It's like it's just like Bane jumping into himself, like in the opening scene. Yeah. You know, getting his hands dirty. Talk about selling a relationship through performance. I mean, it's almost impossible to sell that Talia and Bane would care so much about each other because we have no context, and we just found out, right? So... It's just two great actors. Look at Bane's eyes coming up. We haven't seen him yet when, when she's talking about him, and he's, he's starting to almost cry. That was the moment I was talking about where you didn't think you could ever have and you sympathy. see his face oh, for only one second this whole movie. There he is. That's it. Look at this performance here. Yeah. You know what you don't – it's actually funny because you actually never understand why Bane is her protector. You know, like that. Like at the end of this whole story, you've got this very com- like motivated bad guy Bane, and the only explanation you have is that he is her protector, and she's League of Shadows. I mean, I guess that implicitly he's League of Shadows and was told to protect her, and he's also believing League of Shadows. But still, it's a little. I don't know. It's a tiny bit thin there. Tiny bit thin. Raz. Right. I'm still trying to put together. My father could not accept Bane. Why? He saw a monster, even though he saved his daughter. It makes no sense. I guess there's a lot about Ra's al Ghul that makes very little well, sense. it's not that it's not. I mean, just like you just said, it's it's oh, that. Oh man, his only crime is that he loved me. Cheesy writing, great performance. Gotta love it. She's just killing it. These two. Look at these. Look at the way they look into each other's eyes. They've had like three minutes of screen time together. You already buy it, or I do at least. Selling through exposition is really difficult when it comes to emotions, don't you think? I mean, that's not... Yes, definitely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, all all I was going to say was that it's it's not that Liam Neeson saw him as a monster in and of himself, but saw him as a reminder of his wife's death. That's all. Yeah, that's all. He can never see his daughter in that way, so he saw someone else in that way. Okay, so I, I hinted at this when we talked about the internationalism of the Dark Knight movies in the Dark Knight commentary. They, right, they just block out the signal here, just like Joker's. It didn't hit the button at the end. Um, however, why is Gotham always the target for League of Shadows? Is it just the biggest and most, you know... Um, you know, supercilious, corrupt, superficial, and like corrupt city? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I don't know what the rest of the map of the Batman world looks like. But just the but way they talk about the best it. Theory. Just the way they well, talk about it, Gotham. I mean, the way they presented Gotham in the first movie as this sprawling, you know, Chicago plus New York on, on like, you know, times two or whatever. Can I, uh... It seems like the answer you just said was right. It was yeah. Rome. It was the Rome of this day and age. <laughs> I love... That. Uh, it's amazing. Her face was amazing. <laughs> She was like, oh, I got you. No. She goes she, she goes from sweet, rich woman to bitchy one super smoothly. What a great actress. Just this face here. It, it's smug as hell. Earlier on, you really like her. You know, she just has that effect. Um, is that good, good of an actress? 11 minutes. Um, can I, can I put forward a uh, crackpot theory for you? Go ahead. That not only have I not researched online, but will probably be disproven online. What if the League of Shadows either created or unleashed the Joker? And the Joker didn't know. Nobody knew, including the Joker, that that was the case. That, that the Joker stuff and the, what, what happened to Harvey Dent and the lie behind it was all just you know a pretext, a prelude to an all-out Shadows invasion. 
I guess I, let me ask you this: Is that is, is I, it conceivable I, I, within the mythology, even if it's not the case? Conce- conceivable within mythology yeah. is the perfect way of putting it, because if you, I could totally imagine Liam Neeson, Raz Al Ghul, whatever you want to call him, first movie. Here's what he has in mind: He's like, okay, I'm going to destroy this this city by putting out the crazy gas, etc. It'll be fine. And meanwhile, for the past ten years, I've been working on this insurance policy, namely Heath Ledger as Joker, to like go and recal, like in case just in case I fail. Like he will then be deployed upon my failure, and if I don't fail, he's gonna he's gonna run amok while things are absolutely insane with the gas out there. In other words, yes, that was a mirror of mythology. Uh, Perfect. That was a mirror. Uh, when she says goodbye, my friend, the Bane. That was a mirror. This guy gets dropped in a second. Um, it was a mirror to Bane telling his guy to stay on the plane at the very beginning. You know, like he he actually thought that was the right thing to do for the person was let them be the sacrificial lamb. Um, that I, I always sense that, you know, that it started with Bane doing that to someone and ended with her doing it to him, mm. you know, saying nobody's bigger than the cause, but you're definitely not bigger than the cause, basically, right? Yeah. yeah. What, what's the animal farm? Some uh, some animals are more equal than others. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm back. God, she's good. She's such a badass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good writing, man. It's I'm not sure it's I feel like as strongly welcome. about it's it like, as you let's are. Let's just pick up on that old conversation because you're wrong. Just the way she shakes her head with great conviction says, I don't feel as strongly about it as you do. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I'm sold. I'm sold on the Hathaway Catwoman for life. That's it. I just, I wish we got to see them do a whole movie of adventures together, sidekicks. What a great sidekick deal that would be. Now, you know... They they look a little cheesy being fully practical, but this allows you to do scenes like this, you know, where you actually have real people, real actors hanging out of the bed. Be- like jumping between cars, yeah. yeah. Right, here it is, his plan. He needs her to, for this to work. Okay, so this is, and I mentioned this before to, to Aaron and others, the fact that during the, the most important part of the movie in the battle, we have jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and by the way, he fails. He's completely ineffective here. He fails to even get one bus of kids all the way across. However, I will say, man, on rewatch, the notion that there's like hundreds of buses and trucks behind them and that, and that the bus would just be the first one to get across to open the way being kids, that would make sense. Uh, but I had to read between the lines for that. Like, what's he, what, well, I mean, look, what's look, he accomplishing I, here? I think, I think, dude, no, I think, I don't, I don't think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is thinking about it as, oh, I have to get bus and also every other bus. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is thinking about it as, the city is going to blow up. I've got to get across with as many people as I can. And like, if I die trying, that's fine, because I'm going to die anyway. That's what I think he's thinking, unless I'm missing something. That's a good point, I guess. Right? I mean, it's as simple as that. It's like, I gotta open this pathway or we're gonna die anyway, so we might as well open the pathway. I'm gonna die trying. How do we know Bane is dead, by the way? Uh, let's go ahead and assume that, you know, Nolan didn't show us the shot of Batman touching his pulse. <laughs> and like, and then stabbing him in the throat. Because, again, PG-13. Yeah. But let's assume that just happened. That happened. That happened. He stabbed him uh, in the They've throat killed a lot of other people. I just look at her on the bat cycle. It's just so much cooler. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I want to see her drag race Scarlet on Scarlet's motorcycle, the two of them. Ooh, mama. <laughs> uh, 
It'd be a it would be a close race. No, anyways. because because Scarlet <laughs> can't do that. What we just saw there, the the full no, one eighty. That thing is incredible. Uh, what is that actually? The mechanism that is the wheels that can the rotate, wheels right? rotate. Um, they're not rotating. The wheels rotate. The, the wheels like, rotate in every way. The wheels rotate rotate like a sphere instead of a circle. So they're Perfect. they're actually well, a giant yes. ball essentially, and so they can. Yes. It's three hundred and sixty yes. degrees time uh, to the second power or whatever that would be. It's sphere instead of circle is the exact way yes. to put it. Two-dimensional, three-dimensional circle is the uh, easiest way, I think. It's so hard to animate, too. It looks like she's on the thing the whole time. Right, what is... Is this just to build up the tension thing? Like, we don't want to kill civilians, so we'll just put kids in harm's way? I don't know. It, at least it's way less uh, It's time. just to make Joseph Gordon-Levitt relevant still. Like, because <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing is the whole movie ends with three key shots, right? Batman takes Nuke out. Oh, look at this. Alfred oh. sees Batman in Rome. Yeah. And then and then what do we get? We get Joseph Gordon-Levitt entering Batcave, right? Uh-huh. Now, if you ask me, they only needed two of those three shots. They did not need Joseph Gordon-Levitt entering Batcave. But the studio was hungry to set up the next movie. So they made Joseph Gordon-Levitt as relevant as they could for this whole sequence to set up a Robin movie. Yep. That's the that's the actual reason yep. because plot wise it's worthless. Yeah, I don't know that they were thinking Robin movie because the tension's high enough, man. You don't need the cutaways of the kids. Yeah, I I think that was just to be supposed to be like fan service. Could be wrong. I mean, this is just you know super three dimensional. You can see why it costs two fifty, um, and and the bat is way more practical than the the Batmobile. Uh, you know, I guess it took a while for Lucius to come up with that one. Yeah. But big picture, man, this action's good. It's, it's very good. good. It's very, very yeah, good. Yeah, it's not boring action. No. But, but as you point out, the Bane fights are the best action of the movie. Yeah. I mean, tell me you're oh, not revved yeah. up when they're happening. It's, it's awesome. And look at that, man. Like, it, compare that to, like, the Joker, you know, race through the tunnels. Yep. Like, the only reason the Joker race through the tunnels is good is because of Heath Ledger's performance and, like, the like the insanity of it, you know? Like, it's look how seamless Sure, there's is, some man. crazy shit happening, but, like... That just there, the thing diving down. Anyway, this is a great depth p- pose. Goodbye, Tate. Yeah, I like I like the posture here. What's what is something stabbed her? What's the? She just smashed her face into a <laughs> card. She went from ninety miles per hour to zero miles per hour in a second. She's gonna break her face and neck. She's dead. Yeah, she's asked to carry a lot of the story exposition and her character in this movie. Um, I love that Morgan Freeman's words when he thought he was going to die were "Oh dear." Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? He, do you think his agent once told him you can never say the words "fuck" or "shit," otherwise uh, your whole career is over? Uh, he did in uh, um, the prison movie, I think. Shawshank? I'm not sure, uh, man. I don't think he did. I'll go out on a limb and say he never is said "fuck" or "shit" on the screen. He'll always be driving Miss Daisy in our hearts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to read a racist message into that because you went to Wesley and you may make some enemies. But anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm criticizing the criticism She's of the criticism. Man. Tate Amazing. is very good. Amazing. He's very good. Yeah, that's a little bit of a weird death, death twitch there. I, I prefer people dying with their eyes open. It's more creepy and more realistic, I think. I'll, I'll wholeheartedly agree with yeah. that. Look at her. Oh, man. I mean, that's the problem. Do you think he said no autopilot, even though he knew there was autopilot, to free himself from a Batman future? That is his clean slate protocol. She has one part. Well put, man. That's exactly yeah, right. That's his clean slate protocol. Exactly right. In front of Gordon, he said no autopilot to give himself his clean slate. Yep. Oh, here it is. This gives you chills, even if you're not a hardcore Batman fan. That's no, true. Even a man doing something as simple and reassuring. 
putting a coat around the young boy's shoulders. Mm. They spend so little time That's together. That's the actors that can convey shit just with a look. Because yeah. you knew he just realized it. Okay, so up here, he thinks about it, and he doesn't need to say anything, and he goes, Bruce Wayne, I think, right? He says, Bruce Wayne. I would have gone with just one. I would have gone with... Yeah, I would have gone with Bruce or Wayne. Little things like that. Bruce? No, but... No, it makes sense. No, it makes sense, man. He's not on a first or last name basis with I Bruce guess Wayne. you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. For him, he's placing the entire... Well, he is, but he doesn't know it. That's the thing. He, he could be if he wanted to, but he... That's a great yeah. point, but he doesn't know yeah. it. Like, his interactions with Bruce Wayne are as follows. One, he puts the coat on the shoulders. Two, in the second movie, the Lamborghini stops the truck from hitting his police car. And he says, Mr. Wayne, you've done a nice thing. And he's like, uh, what, should I go to the hospital? You don't watch the news enough. I mean, he does not have a first name or last name basis with Bruce. Okay, so we got a, we have like a, um, uh, you know, like a yacht race or something. On one side, we got the bat with the big ball. And then we got Tony Stark with the nuke and the Iron Man suit. Go for it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't like that corny school bus moment, but I did like that there was also a school bus with the second movie when the Joker is escaping. They do a nice job here. Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a great job overall. They do a nice job here of giving you the shot of, you know, the face and the fly out and the widescreen, and you're thinking that, well, the autopilot hasn't been fixed, so that's it. And you're at, like, at least the first time I saw it, I was legit saying, well, this is an actual big hero movie where the hero actually dies. And kudos again to Nolan for misleading me. I mean, of course, when you think a little more deeply about it, it's kind of obvious that that, you know, autopilot issue was a misdirect. But your first impulse is fuck. And that is a directorial success, if you ask me. The cinematography here is just perfect. Just really, the mushroom cloud's a little corny, but you get it. Anyway, so go to Jesse. Just in terms of the music, it was very subtle and very quick. Um, also, I love that they ended with Gordon talking at, at, at Wayne's funeral. This is another amazing Alfred moment. Um, pretty much agreed in all the reviews that Michael Caine is one of the best, if not the best or coolest parts of the movie uh, outside the main players. But anyways... Uh, when you have Joseph Gordon-Levitt watching the bat take the nuke out, it goes all the way down to just a little boy singing. And it might even be the exact boy that sang the national anthem um, in the football stadium. And we've got boys here. These are boys. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was once a young orphan boy. You know, there, there's a theme running throughout. I often wonder why they chose a little boy to sing the national anthem during that amazing Bane speech as opposed to a, a young girl. I know it seems silly. No, it's not. It's a great question. Uh, I mean, look, here's the easy answer. They leave no point without a thread, which if you ask me is talent. Because you're right. You connected. At, like there, there is, I mean, it sounds terrible. There's a boy theme. You know, yeah, no, but it, but it's true, and it's a real thing, and and there's enough there's enough instances of the national anthem, the school bus, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You know, the key moment in his life is when he realizes Bruce Wayne's wearing a mask, and this. here's Alfred mm. crying about the boy he took care of, who's now dead, and he's killing it with like emotion, the reality of which I haven't even seen in real life. You know, like it's 
Okay, so why does this happen? Point, Sorry. Points have threads, and that's and they don't leave any thread unthreaded. I don't know, un through the needle. You get what I'm saying. So why does this happen? Why does he immediately quit? He says structures have shackles. You know, you said it yourself, Commissioner. No one's ever going to know who saved the entire city. And Gordon's right here. They know all they need to know. It was the Batman. You know, he, Gordon gets. You know, more I mean, I, I'm glad you're bringing it up because it's like we talked about in the introduction. It's the Rocky bit, statue. Like, <laughs> it's like we talked. I mean, but like, look at this. This is a big show, right? It's like we talked about the introduction a bit. Like, you know, this idea that society does bad, bad fucking things, but we don't see it or feel it, and instead we see and feel the statue of the bat. You know. Meanwhile, Bane, he believes in a lot of the things that we value: fairness. And not having some people be unfairly rich and a ton of people be suffering. But he's, he's a monster because he kills with his own hands, right? Society may be a monster too. Because, but, but we, don't see this, we don't see it as much. We know jails are happening. We know there are trials. Supposedly fair. But there's a lot of shit we don't see. I mean, come on. You know, the Patriot Act was designed to make a shadow over things. I'm getting too political, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, all in all, I love this movie. I love it. I think it's amazing. Um, I think I think Nolan wrapped up a, a three. This was not part. needed. Sorry, this whole part was not needed. But we. Well, it was unfortunately this was Hollywood getting a little greedy and being like, well, maybe we want to do another one with JGL, you know, being the Robin. Like you're right, it wasn't needed. Like his point about societies having shackles and doing nasty things, that was perfect. And now he's acting on it. Okay, we get it. But then, like, showing him maybe becoming Robin was just Hollywood greed, if you ask me. And then here you're like, oh, great, he's not dead, which is awesome. I, I'll be honest. The first time I saw it, I was thrilled when I saw that he's not dead. And then they give Michael Caine crying, which you're so sad about, resolve, which I thought was great. When you see Michael Caine sitting opposite Wayne in that Italian thing, again, here we go. the thread is complete, right? Because you had a three-second cutaway. But they did it so poignantly 40, you know, maybe two hours and 10 minutes ago where Kane's like fantasizing about one day he's going to see Wayne leaving, leading a normal life out there in that thing. And then they thread that needle again. Like Nolan's a genius. I'm going to say Nolan's a genius. Ooh. I'm going to say this movie is phenomenal. I'm going to put myself out there. JGL really is- did that, obviously. That was pretty tight. Yeah, I think that did look real, yeah. Oh, that was definitely him. If you watch it on the big screen in high def, it looks just like his face. I love how... This is perfect. And then the music comes up a bit. I would kind of... You're right. I kind of wish that this cut of way to Robin wasn't happening because it's a little corny. Because really, the emotional intensity is with Michael Caine getting the relief of knowing Wayne's alive and living the life that he should be living. Like, that's the deeper message. I do like... I do like, you know... I do like the bad signal being back. That's beautiful. That's fucking nice. But yeah, this is a weak storyline. Why is it a weak? You know what? Why is it a weak storyline? Because it only started in this movie. That's why it's such a weak storyline. The the JGL one. This is beautiful. And Kane's listen, so wait. Good. Listen to the drums. Listen to the drums. Boom, boom. Oh god. That's Hans Zimmer right here, baby. This is why you get Hans Zimmer for moments like this. <laughs> you know. Try not to cry. I'm trying not to cry. Fuck. This is <laughs> that was the that was the gladiator you know moment at the end of battle. Uh, you know. I mean. And like, Look, that's big Hollywood corniest, but it's also oh, it's so beautiful. powerful. It's beautiful. God, and I love how – what can I just say? Fake, but yeah. Can I just say I loved how uh, – boom. Great movie. I love, great movie. I love how they just show Anne Hathaway from the side not even seeing him. You know? It's like that's all you need. And she's wearing the pearls. By the way, man, she's, she's wearing, she was wearing the pearls too uh, from the oh beginning. Oh, my God. I yeah. noticed that. Yep. I mean that's that – exactly. Like they don't – no one's attention to detail is 
unparalleled. Like, and, and the other thing I was trying to say was that you see Anne Hathaway from the profile. Why? Because Nolan's not so, so over the top that he would give you a Michael Bay close-up of Anne Hathaway smiling with the pearls. You know, like he trusts his audience to connect some dots. And I respect that in the director. Oh, if anything, you know? she's looking very Selena Kylish of almost being like bored or like waiting for her food to come or something. You know? <laughs> right. You're it's like perfect. almost like, oh man, yeah. oh man, she's going to leave Wayne in 10 minutes yeah. and like be done with this. <laughs> 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 it's uh, a great movie, man. That's her, I'm glad we did that's this. her clean slate protocol. Um, <laughs> Just running away from Wayne. Yeah. So, th- okay. Well, this is a great movie. Um, so, a little bit to talk about in the wrap up. There it is. Music by Hans Zimmer. God bless him. Um, yeah. And uh, so this movie was written um, by the Nolan uh, brothers. Um, actually, there was a few hands on this, and this actually gets kind of interesting. So the screenplay was the Nolan brothers, but the story was Christopher Nolan and David S. Goyer. You might have heard the name David S. Goyer before. Why? Well, he also wrote Man of Steel, <laughs> which was a very, very, very controversial DC movie as far as DC movie controversies go. Um, and he is, uh, writing or wrote, I should say Batman v Superman, which is coming out. And my friend Matt, who's a big Superman and DC guy who hated Man of Steel. We did a whole, a whole commentary about how much he disliked Man of Steel for the most part. (laughs) Um, but Goyer also did this and Goyer was actually set 10 years ago to write Jessica Jones for network. So you just never know, you know, Joss Whedon was originally supposed to write the X-Men movies, ended up writing the Avenger movies. I, I totally hear what you're getting at. Like... When you have too many cooks in the kitchen, especially when you're co-writing things, it gets messy. And so it's almost a miracle that this thing worked out right. But who are we really talking about? We're talking about two Nolans and Joss Whedon. And Whedon wrote Man of Steel, which is controversial because it's not obvious Superman. No, Goyer. Goyer. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah Goyer. Anyway, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Obviously, Goyer's not going to do the conventional thing. In other words, he's willing to think deeply and play with deeper things. And I think that's... What we see here when we have the Nolans and them working together. Well, and you can blame you can blame Zack Snyder and David Goyer for Man of Steel, but guess who co-wrote the story, if not the screenplay? Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan came up with the main story points for Man of Steel, even though he had said specifically he wasn't going to be directing any more movies for Warner, just like Joss Whedon is with the Avengers. Whedon is staying on as a consultant for Marvel, so too is Nolan staying on as a consultant. So, you know, you can't love Nolan for one thing and then hate Goyer for another. You know, it's just, it's going to be, That's a good point. It's going to be up and in look, town. Look, and this is, I mean, I don't want to get too Man of Steely right now, but I mean... My general take is that the, the critiques relate to it being not the typical Superman feel of being a little ambitious in terms of be developing story. And of course, you know, having too much, uh, you know, Russell Crowe appearances that seem random. Sure, sure, um, sure. But anyway, we can move off from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, maybe you and I at some point could do a real quickie uh, Bizzlecast before Batman v Superman comes out. Just like five, ten minutes talking about our expectations and so forth. But for now, I just want to wrap this baby up. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned to Aaron, sort of off mic, um, you know, I tried to read reviews from respectable sources uh, that came out when this movie came out in 2012. One was by my favorite philosopher, a living philosopher, Slavoj Žižek. Um, I read one by Roger Ebert, who liked it. Ebert pretty much likes every good movie ever. He has the Ebert's got a great nose for just good entertainment. That's why I miss him so much. Um, yeah. And as I mentioned, for me, I, I model myself a little bit after Ebert and always trying to find the positive. And if the movie sucks, I'll rip it. But, you know, I liked Man of Steel way more than I was expecting because I went in with such low expectations. And so I actually enjoyed it. But this is really... 
uh, in a bizarre class for me. As I mentioned earlier, and I talked to Aaron a lot, you know, I really liked The Dark Knight when it came out and afterward. Really did not like The Dark Knight Rises. It certainly was not an abject failure at a billion dollars, even though it made less domestically, although it made up for it a bit for and abroad. But one of the articles I came across was in The Atlantic uh, Monthly, which is one of my favorite... Um, uh, I guess it's a bi- no, it's a monthly publication. They do like twelve a year. Um, it's you know center left, but really represents all viewpoints. Um, and uh, I'm trying to find the name of the author here. Anyways, the um, the author of the article had a number of critiques, uh, which I want to share with you, man, really quick, because uh, in fact they were critiques of the same exact thing that we had praised. And I want to kind of end on whether sort of the perception, you know, whether it was marketing or whatever, the perception of the movie hurt it to the point where someone like me who now loves the movie took like two, three years after release. So the name of the writer is Christopher Orr, who's written a lot of stuff. I hate him already. Uh, yeah. And I, uh, and I, uh, I just want to throw a few quotes out and um, just because I think ready. he covers a lot of ground. Now, he, he starts by praising it, t- saying the opening sequence with the planes, which we love, the tour de force. He says it puts the dark Knights Shang uh, Haing in Hong Kong to shame, which I think we both can agree is the truth. Yeah, that yeah, the opening sequence is special. Yeah, um, but he then goes on to say Christian Bale is again solid at Bruce Wayne, but he looks as though he's tired of the breathe, breathy rasp he's required to adopt when he slips on cloak and cowl. And for me, oh God, as you I were picking a tiny weed out of a beautiful forest, well, that's not, that's not what a, he's spilling ink on. Go on. No, I, he's pulling a giant weed that doesn't exist. To me, he's more, he's more um, vital and alive in this movie, as I pointed out, because of Selena Kyle and to, because of Tate. But then he's in but the other the thing, I mean, what, if, I'm, if I'm hearing the quote right, what he's saying basically is, Wayne seems tired, right? Or, or even worse, Christian Bale seems tired, right? That's the point. Yeah, he says he looks but tired. But fuck, I mean, what is the whole point of the first hour of the movie? He's tired. Victory has made him weak, as Bane would say. Victory That's the whole point. In other words, weak. it's a tour de force because Christian Bale was supposed to be a weakened man. Yeah. So, what is the real critique there? That he acted perfectly? No, I I think your my interpretation of the quote is more along the lines of you know he's he just seems removed, but to me he seems more engaged because there's so much Bruce Wayne, and this is the most deep, complicated Bruce Wayne we've seen. You know, Bale, as I pointed out, he smiles more, he has more facial gestures, he's more human, he's more yeah. vulnerable, he's more sensitive. So I thought that was way off. I thought Mark, was, I I I can, I can imagine where the author was coming from in that. The first hour of this movie was unlike, in terms of Christian Bale's acting, the first hour of this movie was unique in that, just like you said, he was more emotionally real, more emotionally connected, more using his face, and different than he had been before. But I don't think that's a symptom of disconnect. I would never expect Christian Bale to be anything less than superb, and I'm not saying that I'm biased, but I believe in the man's ability to get deeply into a role, into exactly what it needs. And I think that's what he was doing. But it was an aberration in terms of the nine hours of film that represents this fucking beautiful trilogy because it's unlike all of the other hours. If you ask me, the author of this Atlantic article didn't think deeply enough about what he was supposed to be doing for that hour of footage, which was a broken man who was in solitude because he was depressed because he lost the love of his life and because he now has to be in solitude and can't be the Batman 
because the whole point now is the death of the Batman represents the victory of Gotham and Harvey Dent. Okay. So put me on the phone with the Atlantic author and let me tell him how wrong he is. I will. I will. Because you know who the editor-in-chief of the last eight years of the Atlantic is? Who? James Bennett, son of... Oh, my God, Douglas. Yep. You're kidding. James Bennett's the man. Have you ever heard him? Yeah, no wonder this got messed up. (laughs) No, no. James is not like his dad. James is a liberal guy. He's a really... Cool. Anyway, I'm ready for another quote. This so the rest of them are thematic, and that's why I wanted to highlight this particular article, because most of the other ones that liked or don't like the movie talk about the comic booky stuff or whatever, and that's great. But we just did that for, you know, three hours. So uh, the, some of the, the major critiques here, um, which I find particularly interesting, um, I guess two uh, really go together. One has to do of what they call... Um, sort of a, a misplaced mysticism of Batman Begins having to do with the League of Shadows. And the second has to do with the, you know, what I would refer to as kind of the conflation of um, Occupy Wall Street with a number of other uh, philosophical and political notions of the mob, you know, in, in revolutions. Um, and so I thought I'd start with League of Shadows because we like talking about that. He he refers to um, the first movie Batman Begins as being full of airy mysticism, and what, I mean, what, the, what Orr liked about the Dark Knight was that it was bleaker and grittier, poison, um, quote positioning itself as a kind of gangland neo noir. Um, but he goes on, but the Dark Knight rises and said, harkens back to the first film, to Ra's al Ghul, the League of Shadows, to slender, overwrought meditations on the nature of fear and the soul. Unquote. Go ahead. Well, all right, biggest picture, here's the first problem. Uh, If you've seen the movie Birdman, which is a very good movie, there's a great scene between not Michael Keaton, but rather Edward Norton. Or no, you know what? It was Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton confronts the number one Hollywood theater critic who's sitting at a bar drinking a Cosmopolitan, arrogantly writing in her notepad. No, I'm sorry, she's a Broadway theater critic. Go ahead. Whatever I say. Whatever I said was Hollywood. right. Thank you very much. Broadway, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Anyway, that's what the bizzle's here for. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> basic idea being this: Keaton says, "Look, critic, good for you. You get to sit there and use highfalutin language that's imprecise and allows a reader to believe you because they don't actually understand what you're saying, and therefore you can slip in an idea, even though you haven't actually said a precise idea, but you've just conveyed a feeling." to a person who doesn't understand what you're saying. In other words, you're as much of a scam artist as the people you are criticizing for being a scam artist. Okay. So, Wait, I gotta stop dear you. Mr. Orr. I, I got to stop you. I got to stop you because I can see where this is going. Because they, well, they, no, 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 no. Now I'm going to get precise, but go on. Uh, well, I was going to say, you know, they position that woman to be the absolute worst version of what you're describing. Of, yes, it's but so fine. Much, what you yeah. just read, so, Jesse, I'm sorry. What you just read meant nothing. What you just read meant Nothing. Well, hold on. I, it meant I, I nothing. It. I, it's not. It's it. It is like. I'm sorry, Jesse. It is. <laughs> it sounds beautiful. It says fucking nothing, I, and it's loaded as a criticism. But there's no fucking balls behind it because dude, you're saying nothing. Dude. You're giving a vague blanket of beautiful words that end in you suck. Okay. But like, why? Okay. Why do you suck? Because of mysticism or what? It means nothing. All right, it means nothing. Tone it down. So, oh, tone oh, it down, down, please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Tone it down. I'm gonna have to cut. Some I get of upset that. from imprecise. That's okay. That off, I'm gonna have to cut out yeah, some yeah, of that. Yeah. So try and no, try and tone so. it down. I would yeah. hope so. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, please yeah, try not yeah, to make yeah. my life more difficult. I'm I'm fine. I'm fine when you yell for like three seconds. But if it's fifteen, then I gotta cut some. No, no, I know. I lost. So let me let me let me recalibrate here. 
The reason yeah. I read that quote was not because of its poetry, but because he does point to the notion that there's an obsession with fear, uh, in particular, in the first and third movies. Now, what I think Mr. Orr is missing is that fear is also a huge part of the second movie. And we talked about that with both in regards to both Batman and Joker and Harvey Dent, right? So I think that the guy got it wrong there. However, there is a sort of mysticism or attempted mysticism with the uh, bookend movies, with the first and the third, with the, with the League of Shadow movies, the, Ra- the Ra's al Ghul, uh, Bane movies. There is a type of mysticism about fear and the soul and you know what I mean in attaining higher sure. ends, sure. and it's but sure. but it's I, but it's mixed. I, hold I, on, hold I on, hold on. Can I finish, that. please? Um, and it's mixed with you know real world stuff on the ground. It's like mixing mysticism with like the ninety nine percenters, you know. And Bane, as as we talked off mic, you know, <laughs> is both a strong man in the physical sense, but also a strong man in like the spiritual sense or at least in his view so mike so let me just uh, frame the question which is probably what i should have just done from the beginning rather than reading the quote which is you know is there sort of a weird you know pseudo spirituality or or mysticism running throughout that doesn't really need to be there and that's you know kind of is represented by the league of shadows which never quite adds up and that's why the dark knight being a little bit more standalone with a just a straight ahead bad guy in some way works better um on, on the TV, whereas the, you know, League of Shadows. Think, wait, okay, hold on, hold on. Let me finish. I'm almost there. Yeah. The League of Shadows. You know, you have to realize in the comic books has been built up over decades and decades and decades. You know, so it's referring to stuff that us who don't read the Batman comic books don't really know about. Whereas with the Dark Knight, you could just watch it and know zero about. Like Deadpool, you have to know zero about comic books to, to watch and love it. Um, and so, you know, I guess, is there a, just a bizarre, you know, kind of mysticism or can we just compare it to like the force and star Wars? Yeah. It's superficial and skin deep, but it doesn't mean it's not saying anything. Okay. Go ahead. It's a good question. It is a great question. Um, again, these aren't criticisms. So, these are critiques. There's a difference. I, I just want to, I, I want to have, no, yeah. I think that's a good point. And that is, that's actually very helpful. It's yeah. very helpful yeah. because I get defense, I get defensive for the thing I love when I hear it as criticism. Sure. Um, and as a critique, I, I hear it as let's talk about this thing, which is great. Um, all right, let me let me start with. The I mean, first wait, just, question. let me just add real quick. If your biggest complaint about the movie is that it's quote overwrought meditations on the nature of fear and the soul, you're doing a pretty good job <laughs> because the most That's a great point. most movies That's a point. most movies don't even attempt to do it. Dude, the Atlantic doesn't even review that many movies. They pick this movie on purpose. They're not out there reviewing like Kevin Hart movies. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they, they don't they don't even review a lot of the Marvel movies. Like they yeah, they know yeah, how yeah. important this was after the Dark Knight and so yeah, exactly, so you know, they're exactly. engaging it on its level. And like I don't look and let me re- let me retract a t- look, I stand by everything I said while I yelled, and I apologize for yelling, but I stand by every idea I had while yelling. Sure. But let me retract one tiny bit, because I will say that if I was in Christopher Orr's shoes, is that the name of the author? Yes, sir. All right. So Chris Orr has a hard spot, because he's, he's writing for a very sophisticated audience and a very sophisticated magazine, and he's writing about a very sophisticated movie. And so in a world of critiques and and creative writing, unfortunately, the thing I love about the law as a lawyer is that every time I address a question, I say, what is the issue? What is the rule? How would I analyze the rule in light of the issue? And how would I conclude? Now, Chris Orr doesn't have the, um, the comfort of having a tried and true format for analysis. And so that being said, he has to hedge. 
he has to hedge by using somewhat loose language and concepts to embed his beliefs and his criticisms or critiques, as you may call it, to get those across in a safe way because he can't rely on uh, protocols, legal style protocols. Anyway, that's a, that's a digression. All that being said, Chris Orr, I'm sure you're doing a great job. I apologize for yelling, but I believe what I said. Now, let's return to the question at hand, which I understand to be mostly, is there too much mysticism? Now, I'm going to ignore the word mysticism. I'm going to basically understand the question as being, is there too much side story about a outside force of entities that act on society that is sort of different than society. I'm sorry, before you go on, can I just throw in one more ball there for you to throw around? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Or actually two more balls um, in terms of spirit, spiritualism or pseudo-spiritualism. One is Star Wars, the original, and two is The Matrix um, in terms of, you know, are these philosophically deep? Well, fuck, or do you want me to talk to him for an hour? I mean, well, shit. Well, no, but we'll, I think, I think this is a... Want, no, no, go on, go on, go on. No, but on, I'm saying, this is, everyone loves the Force and how great it is, you know, this, and blah, 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 blah but it's, I'm, it's is, skin I'm so deep, happy you're too. saying that. It's I'm so deep. happy you're saying that, because, all right, so here's my exact point. So Chris Orr is saying the word mysticism, and people are thinking of Star Wars and the Force. The huge, gigantic error in that comparison is the following. The force is the force because it's a magical quality of blood cells called microfluoridians. I just made that up. It sounds about right. Do you really want me to have Whereas, to say it and, and out myself as a huge... It's midichlorians. Yeah, please. Metachlorians, right. whatever you want to call it. I'm ignoring the prequels. I'm just it is it, a yeah. magical outside non-periodic table of the elements thing that exists that is made up by George Lucas, God bless him at times, to make his story work. I'm, I'm, I got to stop you, Aaron. We got we got to stick to the original movies. No one really cares about the midichlorians with the prequels. So let's let's stick to just Yoda and Obi Wan in the original trilogy and the idea of the Force being around you and a good side and a light side and getting rid of your fear. And, Let me all simplify that. Then. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Let me simplify even more. Ra's al Ghul is a human being, and his team of ninjas are human beings. Yes, it is a team of ninjas, which is stupid sounding when I say it that way. I almost just spit my beer up all over myself. (laughs) But they are human beings, and they have to use human machinations to achieve lofty goals. They had to get special uh, hallucinogenics to cause disruption in society. They had to get Bane, a specially charged person. But they're using regular actual physical things that we can understand that are working on society to disrupt society. It is no magic. It is no non-actual in our world thing. It is a team of ninjas, which sounds crazy, but it's just a team of people that have trained in karate for a long time. Christian Christian Bale became a badass ninja by doing push-ups on logs in the first movie, you know, and like training with knives. Like, you can call it mysticism, but that's very imprecise and wrong, if you ask me. Because what we're really talking about is we're talking about people who are trying to affect change in the world. And if you ask me, those are some of the most admirable people on the planet. Now, what's brilliant about these movies is that the change that they're affecting is so monumental and huge. You know, it's like 1789 in France, like the sans culotte or whatever the fuck you they were that you know beheaded people it's horrifying you want to literally cause mayhem to disrupt and therefore we view them as wrong and so outside that we're willing to use the word for mysticism the word mysticism but that word is wrong what we're talking about is reactionaries to a status quo that's fucked up 
Our status quo in our world today is fucked up in many ways. Like I said in the intro, and like I said at some point, you know, we just don't see it. We don't. When we see Bane strangling a man and killing him, and when we see Bane walking around with a nuke, we're like, oh God, this is stupid and crazy. And therefore, we're willing to slap the word mysticism on top because we associate him with Raz al Ghul. But we're just talking well, can about Well, I'm sorry. As, as a philosophy and religion major, I, I got to jump in here, which is that... You have authority. I'm listening. Mis- excuse me. Masters in religion. Um, <laughs> you have double authority. Um, which is that mysticism can mean a lot of things. It can involve God. It can also not involve God. But it mostly has to do with transcendence. Um, uh, you know, it, it, the transcendentalists, you know, Emerson and Thoreau and these folks in the late 1800s, who I'm sure many of the Bizzlecasters are familiar with, um, you know, Walden and, and Emerson has a million things he wrote. Transcendentalists are all about figuring out ways to transcend with or without God. Um, Eastern religions are obsessed with transcendence and don't have a traditional notion of God in many cases. They're not about transcendence, hold on, sir. Hold on. They're not. Hold on. Not. But the question is why? Right. So if you're Bane, you know, you claim to be fighting for an ideology. So if that ideology is purely political, that's fine. I think that's what you're getting to. No, but, it's so but the simple. Way, hold on. Things let me unfair. finish my fucking Sorry, question. Yeah, um, I'm not to slap you with, man. I'm going to have to dick slap you in the face. Um, <laughs> that would be amazing because we're just talking through computers. Uh, no. uh, I don't think there's an emoticon for that. We're going to edit the shit out of this. Anyway, go on. I don't think there's an emoticon for that. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> um, but Bane does, uh, you know, appear to, uh, along with Tate, believe in a higher cause. And that's why higher causes are dangerous. But it's also... Uh, dangerous not to have a higher cause, right? They just happen to be the bad version of a higher cause. The Joker, at least, I don't want to say we agreed. I believe Joker was just a really, really advanced nihilist, which does not yeah, believe well, in higher causes in the same yes, way. But um, just to shift it away, because you obviously don't think there's mysticism and therefore think that that's a misplaced critique, even though, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, Batman Begins, there are about 12 to 15 lines by Ra's al Ghul that could have been taken from Yoda or Obi-Wan Kenobi, but you know, that's fine. That's Hollywood. But let me, let me uh, bring us around and try and close this up. Um, and again, I'm going to read a quote from Orr, but I don't want you to jump on Orr with this because this is... I want This I is a problem. You have to promise me because this is something that a lot of critiques... But you have to do me a favor and translate it into a distinct question. Otherwise, I might I jump. Will. I will. So I'm, and I'm gonna, I'll set it up even to make it easier. So remember how we talked about in 2008, The Dark Knight set all superhero records without making over a billion dollars? Right. Right? But Iron Man also came out that year, and even though only made like 550 or 600, you look back now and go, oh, wow, Marvel was really just building up towards the Avengers four years later. Four years later, the Avengers comes out in May of 2012, makes 1.5 bill. Dark Knight Rises comes out a few months later in the summer, makes slightly over 1 billion, significantly less um, domestic, but more foreign. And the question is, and uh, again, I'll, I'll draw from Orr here from The Atlantic, <laughs> did it, quote-unquote, underperform because it was too much in the mold of comic book movies or not enough in the mold of comic book movies? And let me just read you the quote. And again, put this in context of you know, a criticism that I, I've heard elsewhere, even though I don't agree with it. 
right? He says there was an opportunity here for Christopher Nolan to show us that other way, meaning the Dark Knight, to again stretch the boundaries of what is possible in a superhero film. Instead, alas, the latter half of The Dark Knight Rises retreats towards conventionality and while perfectly fine on its own merits, can't help but disappoint. Now, the disappoint part I want to ignore, but the idea that it's conventional, I would really challenge. And I, I think, you know, if you look back now, because now everyone's imitating the Avengers, the Avengers looks like the uncon- or looks like the conventional one, right? But at the time, because there'd been no team up or anything like it before, the Avengers was the unconventional one, and that's why everyone loved it. And Dark Knight just felt like a rehash of Dark uh, Dark Knight Rises, like a rehash of Dark Knight. Does that make sense? And I think this explains why. And again, I love to bring the numbers in. It, you know, the Dark Knight Rises uh, brought in um, almost like eighty, ninety million less in the United States, but it made almost $200 million more um, overseas. And I think that's that's significant because I think this is the type of movie like the X-Men. The X-Men movies do way better overseas than here. You know, I mean, the, the Marvel movies in general got the got the one third, two thirds split. But X Men: Days of Future Past last year or in 2014, people would say, "Oh, Guardians is better that year. Captain America is better that year." Yeah, well, guess which movie won by far overseas? X Men: Days of Future Past. Why? It's darker. It's more subtle. More subtle. There's yeah, less George action. Bush also there's won more the presidency. Themes. Like, numbers don't matter in this context when we're talking about the ideas, I don't think. Well, no, but what I'm putting forward is that Dark Knight Rises being even more subtle from an idea standpoint, foreigners are more likely to get it than Americans are, who, like, they're, they're, they're fair more straight ahead, you know? Like, right, but, like, I'm, all right, I'm well, saying this is, a, this is a critique of, Amer- of, of America. Uh, well, okay, look, I, I, I totally am with you in terms of the jumping off point of saying that being conventional for the second half of the movie and therefore the second half of the movie isn't great. It sounds like that's basically what he's saying. I totally am with you that that's not true. Now, where I'm not with you exactly is with the idea of using numbers to mean anything here. Because, you know, I don't know, how many artists have died without selling a painting and then forever are recognized as a genius? Like, numbers don't really matter as far as I can tell when we're talking about ideas because, truth be told, you and I talk about ideas in a way that's very different than the average person from Shanghai who sees a Dark Knight movie. So you can't use that ticket sale as meaning anything in the context of this discussion, I think. Now, that's a digression. Let me answer your question. Is the second half of the movie I disagree with that statement for the record. But well, let's just, all right. Well, yeah. well, if you want to talk about that, you're the boss. We can do it. You want to talk about that? No, no. I'm saying you can sometimes learn from comparative numbers, not from individual numbers. You can sometimes numbers. learn from comparative numbers, but if you ask me, our conversations are better when we're talking about the ideas. What I'm man. saying is Dark Knight Rises is more intellectual than the Dark Knight, as great as the Dark Knight is. And Americans sometimes right, don't get intellectual you, if movies. You, if I tell you 90% of the apartments in my building have sold, does that mean the other 10% you know, are free from problems. You don't know that. You can't say that. You just don't. Using numbers is a shorthand way of getting around con- conceptual issues. If you, like, look. No, these are cultural, the these are cultural things. Look at Star Wars, for example. But Star but Wars. You asked me a very specific question, well, Jess. Well, you asked me a really specific but, <laughs> You asked me whether the second half of the movie had conventionality issues. And then you can't use general numbers to, to answer that question, I don't think. No, no, I, didn't, I, mean, I said to ignore we, the second we half. We fault politicians all the time yeah. when they have a problematic position and then they gloss over by throwing around loosey-goosey stats. 
Who cares about the stats, man? Let's just talk about the concepts. Right? I mean, I don't know. You I am, me. You're am I missing wrong? what I'm saying. What, I mean, what are you saying? I, Say it without numbers and all I will tell you. Maybe with numbers, I don't care. Okay. Based on a combination of numbers and critical reviews, The Dark Knight Rises, I think, overperformed is what I'm getting at. From I, right, but are we talking about Orr's critique about conventionality or are we talking about the overall movie success? I think there's a consensus that it wasn't as groundbreaking as the first Dark Knight movie. Uh, you know? and so I, is that the question or is the question about Orr's conventionality critique? No, the, the question is, you know, why wasn't it as well-reviewed or better-reviewed than the original Dark Knight? I guess okay, if you don't want to talk fine. about numbers, I'll stick to reviews. Yeah, yeah, even okay, even user reviews I, are a little I, bit below. I would below. prefer not to talk about numbers. Sure, okay. Then both user, right. user reviews are definitely better for Dark Knight Rises than the critics' reviews, but it's still a, a jump down. Now, it's still a jump down into like top five or top ten comic book movies ever uh, by any standard, no doubt. But there is a jump down. But I don't feel personally, and this is what I'm trying to get to, I love that Dark Knight Rises now, but I didn't feel that initially. So to make this more personal and to you know stop getting mad at, at critics and stuff and to tr- and try and wrap this thing up, why, in your opinion, this isn't about psychoanalyzing, like what, what about this movie to someone like me who liked The Dark Knight, wasn't obsessed with it, didn't like this, now loves this and finds it more rewatchable, what would you say to someone like me? You know? Well, I'd say there's, I'd say that there's the amazing moment when you first kiss a girl when it's there's no baggage and there's no story and there's no secondary thoughts and then there's the other moments that aren't that are never going to be as well look they'll be different they'll be different and they'll be amazing in different ways i use the i, I use the uh, first kiss mo- metaphor all the time with films yeah, yeah. you use ba- batman begins was operating on a clean slate it was our first kiss i mean it's weird to say this but it was the first time christian bale you know is the batman we're kissing <laughs> like and it's like he comes out, and the story's fucking brilliant. It breaks the mold. It's not Michael Keaton and Arnold Schwarzenegger and George Clooney acting like idiots. Right. It's a deep story that blew our minds. It blew our minds. So to then follow that up, you've got an impossible mission. What does Heath Ledger do? He does more than the impossible. He does maybe one of the maybe the greatest performance in the history of mankind. I don't know. Maybe. And for that reason, the second movie landed wonderfully. You know, first movie, first kiss, and phenomenal. Second movie, a lot of great things, and Heath Ledger's a standout in a way we've never seen before, and therefore phenomenal. Third movie had some very big shoes to fill, but it didn't have any one single thing that blew everyone's socks off. And that is the reason why there's a more of a, if you ask me, in my humble opinion... A, a what, you're, hum- mix you're humble of all of a sudden? <laughs> no, I'm not humble. Let me say, <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm very confident and I'm cocky yeah, and yes. inappropriate at times. Good. But, but yeah. um, in my you know, unprofessional opinion, um, the third movie got mixed reviews because it didn't have an automatic knock your socks off. But just like you said, you watch it over and over and you see that it's brilliant and it's beautiful. It wraps up. Right. Okay, it com- okay. It no, this is good. This is actually what I've been trying to get to all this time, and I apologize for taking so long. This is my responsibility as the host of the show, which is, right, why is it so rewatchable? You know, like, why Why did it take me, you know, three years, essentially, to realize that this is, in my opinion, the most interesting, even if, if not the best, uh, of the three Dark Knight movies? Like, what, what was the hang-up? Was it just that the Dark Knight was so spectacular, and so you can never live up to it in your minds? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. The, the first movie was the first kiss, and it was incredible. It was its own thing. Right. Second movie was also amazing, and Heath Ledger blew her. Like, I, I still think about him tr- driving around in that truck being like, I like this job. You know, like, it, <laughs> it's just so good, man. And, like, yeah. him slamming the guy's head down onto the pencil and him, like, changing laughter into slaughter. Like, there are just so many... I miss the guy, man. I want to. I wish I got to see another forty years of his acting. I swear to God, I get sad when I think about but it. But you did acknowledge. I'm sorry to interrupt. You did acknowledge. I don't know if you remember acknowledging, but I listened to the podcast. You acknowledge that as amazing as Heath Ledger and the Joker are, when you start hearing those one-liners for like the you know fifteenth time. You're just like any one-liners. It's like, eh, okay. Right, 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 but that's not Heath Ledger specific. No, no, it's just one-liner specific. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm wondering if 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 the Dark Knight well, no, got over, I'm sorry, I got, I got carried away. Here's my simple point: the first time you saw Batman Begins, it blew your mind. The first time you saw this uh, Dark Knight and saw Heath Ledger, it blew your mind, mostly because of Heath Ledger. And actually, on rewatch, there's a lot of good stuff in there too. And then on the third movie, there is no Heath Ledger, there is no first kiss, but there is an elegant story, and there is deep ideas, and there is narrative perfection that do not immediately resonate because you didn't have clear expectations maybe other than getting your socks blown off and that didn't happen the first time you saw it sure that's my answer i'm sticking to 